he's got it on NWR. He's got it on the black and the white. Oh. My God, he's got it on the black and the white. And look at Hogan celebrate. Oh, I thought I'd never see this. Sting hugging Hogan. No, he oh. doesn't. Sting decked Hogan. Sting is going to slam the chair. Oh. Sting takes off. Sting's, Sting's got, he's got the red and the black. Well, that you want me now, man, makes me feel something right here. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Man, there's nothing more important. Oh, oh my goodness. That was Rodman. Signing him good, right from behind. Oh, listen to that. Just when he was going to make that decision. There he I am the champion, Mean Gene. Dennis, the word Rodman. You mean Rodzilla? <laughs> Whatever. With all those magic people, it is indeed the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hello everybody, my name is Rory McNamara and thank you for joining us for Volume 2 of our three-part soiree of Retro Wrestling Goodness, All Things June 1998. World Championship Wrestling today for us. If you listen to Volume 1, which you probably already have, you will have heard or will hear us talking about King of the Ring 1998. One or two things happened at that one. Volume 3 is our ECW show, building up to their next pay-per-view in August. With me today... Mr. Billy Johnson, how are you, sir? Uh, good. Thank you, uh, Rory, and uh, hello, Peter. Yes, indeed. Peter Kimber as well. How are we doing, my man? Very good, Rory. Very good indeed. And good morning to you both. Good morning. Yes, I should say, everybody, we're doing a, a Saturday morning taping here. It's uh, just gone 10 o'clock. Uh, I'm not sure if I speak for the remainder of us, saying there might be one or two bleary eyes knocking around today. But, uh, we shall get through it for you, dearest listeners. Uh, Peter, what's been happening in the world of World Championship Wrestling in June 1998? A fair amount by the looks of it, Rory. So uh, first up, head-turning numbers. Yes, indeed. Uh, somebody upstairs will be very, very pleased with this one, the big fella will. In the last year, June 1997 to now, average houses are up 28% for all World Championship Wrestling shows and revenue up an eye-watering 74%. 
When you consider the bit of the kick in they're getting in the ratings, as we'll see in a short while, those numbers are at least very pleasant reading for Ted and Co. The Great American Bash is a gas, gas, gas. Well, I thought it was anyway. A lot of people didn't. Yes, the Great American Bash held in the middle of June in Baltimore, Maryland, home of some many, many Great American Bashes and one not very not great one. Main evented by the Giant and Sting battling for the Tag Team Championships. Yes, you heard me correctly. We'll get to that very shortly. We'll explain it. You might need it explained. Once again, you had the usual mix of a damn fine undercard and main event matches, which were main event matches. But on the whole, a pretty good show, and we'll talk about it for you very shortly. WCW, the worldwide leader in entertainment sports. <laughs> Brilliantly said. Yes, it's the summertime, so big sports stars from elsewhere are coming back to World Championship Wrestling. In addition to Dennis Rodman, who, and Kevin Green, yay, the mailman, Carl Malone, has been making an appearance, and he will be appearing in the main event of next month's pay-per-view, teaming up with Diamond Dallas Page to take on Hogan and his boy, The Worm, in the tag team main event, uh, apparently so, in a automatically memorable segment, which we will talk about a bit later on. Uh, Carl Malone actually both slammed and clotheslined Hulk Hogan after turning up to the arena in an 18-wheeler, as you do. But it is quite interesting that WCW are trying to rely on celebrities from outside of the world of wrestling to keep things cooking at the moment, whilst the opposition are pretty happy with, pretty happy now with what they've got. Thank you very much. Thunderclouds lifting. Yes, uh, Eric Bischoff held a meeting at the beginning of the month where he told a very burnt-out roster that they were finally going to be getting at least six days off every month. Uh, quite amusing, really, when you consider so many people jumped ship over the last two years because of the supposed relaxed schedule, and it's really not quite that uh, relaxing after all. But as part of this exercise, Thunder is now no longer going to be live every week. It's going to be taped in a four-hour block every two weeks, which, of course, poses the interesting situation where the second Thunder in the block will be taped before the Nitro, which is shown immediately before it, and the storylines will be out of sync. But then that's only really an issue if you watch Thunder and, well, you know. But Dean and Skinner will be proud. Wrestling's coming down. Yes, but you were meant to sing that one, Peter. Come on, all together now. Wrestling's coming <laughs> down. Um, how we can, uh, let me try and think about this one. Um, three counts on the mat. Big gold belt, still gleaming. No, I can't do any more than that. I'd write the whole thing for you, then. I've only had known. <laughs> uh, well, well, I'll tell you what, we're, we're still there at the moment. We haven't kicked off against Argentina yet. We might still be there next month. We might have a chance. But, um, yes, oh. we, we could do it. Start with my glowing. Come on. Yes. Now, next week, the first Nitro of July will be taking place at the Georgia Dome. It'll be the second time this year. And again, extraordinary numbers for this one. The capacity of around 42,000. And they managed to sell 15,000 tickets in the first week extraordinary numbers especially when you consider in true world championship wrestling style nobody yet has a clue what's going to be on the event but the name does sell especially down there in good old mwa town so that concludes the news i shall give you the ratings for the month and say good numbers elsewhere not here though i'm afraid we have the official ratings for the memorial day Nitro back on the 25th where they pretty much did indeed tie with raw with a 4.2 after that though 1st of June, Raw's 4.35, comfortably beat Nitro's 3.75. 
bit closer on the eighth, Nitro 4.1, but Raw still edged ahead with a 4.2. A dead four on June the 15th, can't beat a 4.3 though. And on the 22nd, it was a 4.1 against a 4.2. We will have you the ratings for the 29th of June next week. And a quick reminder, you can find us on Patreon for $5 a month, patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 years. Donate anything you can to keep the show on the road. Every little is very much appreciated. JJ Dillon, you wanted it, you got it. You dared to challenge me. You said I needed evidence. I'm going to give you evidence. I came all the way to Washington, D.C. to get the jurisprudence that you need to give me my belt back. And JJ Dillon, someone here will definitely listen to what I have to say. This is ridiculous. Excuse me, fellas, who can I talk to to go over J.J. Dillon's head? I don't know, but you're going to have to leave. You're telling me I got to leave? You have to leave now. Okay. Easy, guys. All right. You're in on the conspiracy, too, aren't you? Okay, now we're getting somewhere. I just talked to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas talk to his law clerk and I know she'll give him the message and when he has a chance he'll definitely have a meeting with me I just know he will battle royal and all the guys were listed in the battle royal but Dean Malenko was not listed in the battle royal he was under a mask he took the mask off surprised me and he beat me for the belt Okay, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the lackeys. I've had enough of the yes men. The time has come for me to go straight to the top. I'm going to go inside because I heard he's a Jericho-holic, so he should let me in. Excuse me, sir. I'm America's role model. I need to see the chief. i got to get inside and uh, go over J.J. Dillon's head. I'm sorry. There's no clearance. You're going to have to leave right now. But I'm Chris Jericho. I don't care. You're going to have to leave right now. Thank you, sir. somewhere 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 where's the section on WCW title belts no, it's not in that one okay I found this one <laughs> put that in your pipe there fat man We begin proceedings for the month on the 1st of June at the home of Starcade 97 the MCI Center in Washington what could possibly go wrong? After a brief video package detailing Sting's history re his decision later, we see JJ Dillon getting out of a limo with DDP, Booker T and Goldberg. Intriguing. We kick off strong with Jerry Flynn beat Ernest Miller. The crowd don't really get a kick out of this one. I kick my heels waiting for the cat to win with. A kick. Another limo turns up already and this one belongs to the red and black. People seem pleased to see them and they emerge with their brand new music. Nash drops a hey yo and a new version of the survey, but the result is, you can guess. Luger tells us Sting has been his friend for a long time, really, and begs him to make the right choice. Raven and Saturn versus Public Enemy is next. The usual Farago here until Raven tags himself in, 
and of course he goes after Saturn. The match ends in a lame three count and then Raven takes the mic. He rehires the flock for both his and Saturn's protection. No sign of Eddie as Charbo takes on Alex Wright. Highly watchable stuff here until Charbo taps immediately to the STF. Then Eddie storms to the ring and says the family are now proud of Charbo. And as such, they don't have to wrestle. But Nephew thinks that he can beat him. Tony is in the ring to interview Savage. He tells us that the Wolfpack is the bomb and that he also wants to go face to face with Roddy Roddy Piper. Savage's problem is that he still thinks that Piper and Brett are in cahoots. After the main event of the pay-per-view, he wants a piece of the rowdy one. Uh, Roddy accepts the basket case's call, but then desp desperately tries to get over that he has no ties to heart, and it falls on deaf ears. Tony is here again with JJ now. It pains him to see Sting torn in so many directions. Sting, if you stay with WCW, you are our franchise. We will always stay with you. The black and white are here. The NWites know that Hogan rules the wrestling and the world. All right, all right. It will be a pleasure to show Sting where the power lies, and he will do so tonight by crushing Nash and Luger. Brett then tells Hogan how wonderful he is, and they can't wait to dismember Savage and Piper at the bash. Lenny Lane and Conan is next, and Conan wins with the sunrise. He then is out here with Hennig and Rude. He may be injured, but at the bash, Hennig wants to defeat Bill Gold Turd. This stuff is really highbrow. Finley defends the TV belt via Eddie. It's good while it lasts, but Chavo hops in to plead with Eddie about their match. You don't see DQs like that every day. We then get a fantastic sequence as Chris Jericho walks around DC trying to find someone to whom he can go over JJ's head with. It's brilliant. You'd have heard it just now. I don't need to recap it. One of the best segments of this or any other year. He's now in the ring having a usual fine match with Hoovy, and it ends with Reese interfering and a pinfall. With Benoit 2-1 up v Booker, it's time for match 4 in their series. Booker has most of this one, but a crossface from out of nowhere puts the Crippler just one win from overall victory. DDP versus Riggs now. Fireman's carry into the Diamond Cutter does this one quickly, and then Sick Boy eats it as well. Goldberg against La Parker? Anyway, 94-0. Main event tag team match now. Hogan's t-shirt ends up in Luger's grasp. He wipes his arms with it, and then Nash wipes Ah, you get it. The match is total zilch until Hogan hits the Wolfpack with the belt for a really weak DQ. That doesn't really matter as Sting defends from the rafters. It's decision time. The coat comes off, and there's the black and white shirt, but yeah. Hogan and Giant get attacked, and it's the red and black t-shirt underneath. This explanation had better be good. The red and black start us off on the 8th of June in Motor City. Nash opens by telling DDP they have a home for him in the Wolfpack so we're already doing another big decision angle. Nash's mic cuts out, and it's Hogan in the skybox. He actually turns on some pyro, and then switches the house lights on and off, and then calls for a commercial break, just because he can. We know where the power lies. Jerry Flynn versus Yuji Nagata is our first match, and the Nagata lock ends it. Tony talks to Chris Jericho. Jericho tells Skiavone he has a letter from Ted Turner himself. It starts out promisingly, but ends up by saying that Malenko is still the champion. Jericho breaks down. What about Jane? What about fishing in Canada? Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff again. Seek it out if you can. Hoovy gets lumbered in a tag team with Hammer versus Horace and Reese. Hoovy has to eat for four in this one before laying down for Reese's choke bomb buster thing. Hogan and cronies and ladies are sipping champers in the skybox. 
Hogan plans on collecting the money Nash owes him for all the powerbomb fines. I've got to say, that's some pretty decent continuity. They then get back to fraternising with the talent that Dennis Rodman brought with him. JJ starts Hour 2 by making Sting giant for the pay-per-view. Whoever wins automatically gets control of the undisputed tag team titles. Scott Putsky versus Eddie is up now. Chavo sneaks down to try to get to his uncle. He's even wearing the t-shirt now. And they will finally face off next week. Here's Nash again. If Hogan wants the money, then it's in a Swiss account that he's got. Down there. Meanwhile, Giants tell Sting that he is just a gnat. And on Sunday, he will pull his wings off. Here's yet another talky segment. This time with Conan, Hennig and Rude. They have plenty to say to Goldberg, but the chance drown them out. Booker Benoit are now on to match six. The Crippler almost has it won until Stevie Ray comes down to give Booker a wake-up call. He manages to eke out the win with a roll-up, and it's 3-3. Back in the green room, as Hogan does the usual to Savage and Piper, Brett looks on lovingly and doesn't say a word, but Hulk does call him the greatest there is, was and will be. And if that wasn't enough denigrating for one day, he then kisses Liz. Gotta love creative control. It's Belfast versus Peterborough for the TV title. We get a Mexican wave during this one, which is a bit unfair. Finley goes on to beat Norman Smiley with the tombstone. Hot start to the closing hour as Tony talks to Sting. Yes, that's Sting. He runs through his history at the Great American Bash and tells the Giants to take a shower because he stinks. Yes, it really is that Sting. At the Great American Bash, I own you. And then the segment just ends. This was trialled with us getting an explanation for why he joined the Red and Black. But you weren't really that stupid, were you? The logical interviews continue with Piper. He gets a Let's Go Red Wings chant going, and that's all the crowd really care about. Although they do come back to life when Savage appears. Piper gets Jekyll and Hyde the wrong way round, and things don't really pick up from there. When they're done beating up Hogan and Brett at the pay-per-view, they can finally get it on with each other. Hogan interrupts, and he gives Liz to Bischoff. Is he really allowed to do that? Dean defends the cruiserweight belt v Disco. He gets the Duke with the Cloverleaf. Time for Hogan and ladies yet again. He puts over Scott Steiner and gives him anything he wants. Three segments here have achieved and advanced nothing. Goldberg versus Chavo. Yeah, that's a strange one. Eddie enjoys the massacre anyway, which takes it up to 99 and 0, we think. The black and red wrap things up with their invitation to Paige. Remember that? It looks as though he might be joining the red and black, but then Hogan and Robin jump in from behind and attack him with a chair. So we're going to have to wait. Again. From the upper reaches of the MCI Centre, here he comes! Slowly descending, as he has so many times. Sting on hooks. A good look will tell you, yes, that is the real Sting. Didn't go to his friend Luger at all. Did you notice that? It is decision time here. Let's see what you got on. He's got an NWO. He's got on the black and the white. Oh. My God, he's got on the black and the white. And look at Hogan celebrate. Oh, I thought I'd never see this. Sting hugging Hogan. No, he oh. doesn't. Sting decked Hogan. St 
thing is going to slam the giant. Yes! Yes! Slam the giant. 513 pounds of the giant. Hold on. He's getting rid of that black and white right now. Sting takes off. Sting's, Sting's got, he's got the red and the black. Sting, he's joined Nash. He's with the black and red. There's no doubt about that now. Sting is on the Wolfpack side. Sting is a member of the Wolfpack. Maybe the strongest organization going today. Can you believe what we've seen? They're Hogan holding back Hogan and the Giant. Savage is coming. Conan, Kurt Hennig, and Sting is in the Wolfpack. Let me say it again. Sting is in the Wolfpack. And Hogan is beside himself. An historic moment in our sport. The balance of power has shifted. The Wolfpack, they are the strongest force in professional wrestling bar none. And you've heard the first two weeks of TV there. Chris Conspiracy Victim Jericho in a great segment. And as I wring my hands in preparation to talk about it, at the end of the first night show at the start of the month, Sting made his decision, as you might remember if you were listening last month, whether Sting was going to join the Red and Black NWO or not. I think everybody really saw this one coming. He comes down from the rafters. He accepts the Black and White NWO shirt. The commentators are the only people who are shocked. The crowd don't really react because everybody knows what's coming. Punch to Hogan, slam to Giants, and Sting joins the Red and Black, the New World Order Wolfpack. Peter, I'll come to you first on this one as we discussed this last month before he actually made his decision. Just ge- general thoughts on it first, on Sting joining the Wolfpack, what you think it means, whether you think it's the right choice, and where you see it going first off. I'm just glad it happened after all that wait last month. And, you know, obviously, will he, won't he, will he, won't he? At least he's finally made a decision and uh, he can get on with it now, can't he? Um, I'm quite pleased that he's found... Uh, a new home and I think it's the right choice to be in the red and black. I don't think aligning with Hogan would have made any sense at all. Um, so I think he's got himself somewhere where he can now sort of potentially reinvigorate himself and get himself back to where he once was previously, um, where he obviously the tag team title scenario needs to play itself out. Obviously, obviously the great American bash goes a long way to getting that sorted out for us. Uh, what next for Sting? I mean, he's got a lot of people he can go up against now. I'll see. I'd imagine that him and Luger will potentially be a team down the line. Um, there's lots of, of, of little feuds to go back. It does seem like a bit of a rehash again because obviously he was Mr. WCW, but on his own, he's now back up against Hogan and his and his cronies. So it's like almost a rehash from what two years ago. Um, but I'm just pleased we finally have a decision because it's been going on for that long. And the end of that Nitro at the end of last month was a bit of a wind-up. No one knew what was going to happen. And we all just stood there in the ring looking at each other as we go off the air. It takes a whole episode of the, of the first Nitro to get the answer. But we're finally there. Um, so generally quite pleased. Uh, I just hope um, he can find a bit more vigour in the ring, a bit more energy because he's been severely sort of lacking in any sort of drive and... That sort of passion. So I'm hoping this might reinvigorate himself. Yeah, you make a good point there. At um, the uh, last nitro of the of the last nitro of last month, when he was handed the shirt and we didn't see him put it on before the show went off the air, 
we did. So we didn't get to see it, but he did put the shirt on after after the TV viewers had gone away, and it got a massive pop. So I'm pretty sure there they were testing the water, and if there was any doubt that they were going to put him in the wolf pack, it was probably eviscerated there. Uh, what do you think, Billy? Well, it's one of those that basically, uh, if you look at it, uh, it was great on the night. It obviously came off really well to the fans uh, watching it live. They really enjoyed it. Like you mentioned, Roy got a massive pop. But it's sort of like from six months from now, it's uh, a sting just going to be lost in the shuffle of the many bodies that are involved in this uh, NWO turf war. Um, I hope it doesn't happen. It sort of... Uh, rejuvenated his character for a little bit, but he's acting a bit... Uh, I, I suppose the character has sort of taken uh, a change, uh, really, going forward. And uh, I just don't like the way the Sting is acting, uh, joining the NWO walkback so far. He's uh, basically uh, Kevin Nash. <laughs> Another Kevin Nash. Yeah, he just comes across like a right tool, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, it, it, it really does. Just watching him through the month, his, pro, his, his promos have been terrible. I mean, Sting's best promo is when he doesn't say anything. The one he cut on the giant before the pay per view, where he's just, just, he's just like a big kid. He's not a cool adult. He's a big kid when he's saying things like, "Giant, I'm going to kick your big ah, ah, your big butt." Yeah, edgy, edgy, Steve. Yes, well done. It's as if. He once he caught two seconds of a DX promo on a monitor whilst going out to the ring one day, and it suddenly clicked with him. Ah, that's cool these days. I'll try and do that. But in addition to things, yeah, yeah, go on, take it, go ahead. I just, I, I don't really get it where they're like thinking. Uh, you know, Sting. I, I preferred the character when he was dark and brooding, and he was fighting for WCW. Um, with this whole, I'm all cool and uh, I can say funny words on, on air, which aren't really, like you said, edgy. Uh, it doesn't really work for me. And I do wonder where it will lead for Sting in six to nine months. Uh, I do worry about that. I mean, even at his best when he was molten hot and was, and let's face it, was carrying the company on his back, especially in the early 90s. His promos were never works of great erudition. I mean, I've mentioned it on the show before, back in June 94, when for some reason, I still four years on can't work, work out why he compared himself to a great white shark and impersonated <laughs> a great white shark by going, no, 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 no. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, mate, just hit a few stinger splashes and go home. Yeah. But he's always I think, had, yeah, I, think, yeah, I, think, I think the name value itself, though, will lead to, doesn't it, that Sting is, is Mr. WCW, isn't he? Of all the people still left standing in the absence of flair. Sting is the only mainstay of sort of the NWA era. So I'm guessing he's always going to be um, a, a pop and a mark in that era, isn't he? So I think keeping him and giving him something different to do. But I think Billy is right there. There's a, there's a potential that this just drifts into nothingness or this NWO war that's going on at the moment. He just gets lost in the middle of all of it because Nash is still the, the main player in the black and red, isn't he, really? And Hogan's always going to be the main player in the black and white. So Sting is still just a bit part player, I think, isn't he? He is. But something you mentioned there, I've got to come back on. You're absolutely right saying he's Mr. WCW. So why is he in a branch of the NWO then? Exactly. <laughs> That's the biggest problem. I, I probably would have gone, put him back to surface Sting, let him get his blonde, uh, bleach blonde hair back and just go back, align with Page and Booker, etc. 
and go full on WCW again. You know, yes, that'd be something, something different, wouldn't it? We'll talk about Paige a bit more later, but it makes him look a bit stupid. If NW or Wolfpack is where it's at, and World Championship Wrestling as an organisation think, oh, they're the cool version of the NWO. They're the nice guys. Yes, they want to put us out of business, but look, they're really funny doing it. They've got Kevin Nash throwing shapes and Conan saying, oh, delay, they're all right. Why doesn't everybody just join them? You've got Paige who, we had yet another cliffhanger. God, WCW and their fucking cliffhangers this month. <laughs> where he was going to give an answer and he was beaten down by Hogan and Rodman, which was never mentioned again, by the way, I, I hasten to add. Right. Why doesn't it, I remember Bob making this point two years ago. Why doesn't everybody just join DNWO Black and White in like November 96? If it is just Wolfpack versus Black and White for control of something, wouldn't everybody be there? But yeah, I think they're just trying too hard to play out on our screens the very real-life power struggle going on between Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash. But also, Roy, weirdly, on the beginning, I think it was the second Nitro, when the limo pulls up with Goldberg, Booker T, the DDP, Page. What did that mean? It, that was... it, it didn't mean anything, did it? They just... No, wasn't ref- it didn't do anything, wasn't, did it? Wasn't, wasn't referenced again. Wasn't even, wasn't even briefly mentioned on commentary. Like, here's, here they are. Here are some WCW stars. They've arrived at the venue together. Well, big. Yeah. Uh, like, like, Billy, any more before we move on? Well, yeah, what, what does it really say if you've got just Goldberg, Booker T and DDP? Yeah, those guys are big stars, but the bigger stars are aligned with the NWO. It's really making WCW look stupid. And do you really want to be sending that message to your audience that uh, WCW isn't the place to be and the NWO is? Uh, I just... It's all it's WCW booking. What can I say? It's all very confusing. Exactly. Two very brief things to say. One, guys, what are we fighting for? And two, Sting, just put a sock in it, mate. <laughs> okay, after the wonders of TV, it's pay-per-view time. The Great American Bash of 1998. There's yes, another intro for us. Billy, do you have the results? Oh, I do have the results. Uh, up first, Booker T uh, defeated Chris Benoit in the 
final of the best of seven series uh, to become number one to contender for the WCW title. Uh, Canyon defeated Perry Saturn. Uh, Chris Jericho defeated Dean Malenko by uh, disqualification to uh, win the vacant Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, Juventud Guerrero defeated Reese. Chavo Guerrero defeated Eddie Guerrero. Uh, Booker T defeated Fit Finley to win the WCW World Television title. Goldberg defeated uh, Conan. Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart defeated Roddy Piper and Randy Savage. Uh, then Rand, Roddy Piper defeated Randy Savage by submission. And uh, Sting defeated the Giant. For the tag team titles. Uh, oh, <laughs> tag team titles, yes. You've got to love it. <laughs> Pete, your thoughts on this, your thoughts on this pay-per-view? I'm going to base it on, obviously, very last month watching Slamboree. This was a this was an improvement. I'll, I'll say that. I mean, last month's show wasn't the best WCW effort there, but I think this one was a uh, a marked improvement on that. Again, like you mentioned in the uh, in the news, the the undercards had enough going for it. But when you get to like the superstars in the main event, I mean, <laughs> it, it's just these cobbled together tag team matches and. You've got a singles match for the tag team titles. There wasn't a single actual tag team match on the card with actual tag team in. So that 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 uh, that whole uh, division seems to be absolutely in the toilet as of regards to WCW at the moment. Uh, but it was it was a good watch. It was better than Slamboree, which is good. Um, I just think we need to see a, a fresher looking main event scene. But unfortunately, I mean, we didn't get to see Nash this month. We've got to saw Hogan. So you know, what do you do? <laughs> which is a fair which is a fair trade no yeah <laughs> yeah overall i suppose uh yeah everything was solid on the undercard to mid card uh i'm just gonna probably repeat what peter said you know the main event and the semi-main event it's just the same old faces fighting the same old battles and uh if, if you've watched the wcw show in the last two years then you're going to pretty much know what it's uh, all about basically the semi and the main event it was uh it was uh, one of those shows uh, it, you just say the same old thing with wcw it's always yeah the undercard and big card was good and uh, the main and semi main was just no good one thing a lot of bands like to say when they release a new album and they're describing to journalists what it sounds like is they say the hard parts are harder and the soft parts are softer I'm going to borrow and adapt that line for my thoughts on the Great American Bash 1998. The good bits, i.e. pretty much everything in the first two hours, were really good bits. You had a lot of comparatively young people on this on the card, given time at last to show what they could do, and by and large, they brought it home. The remaining 45 minutes, however, oh boy. Very possibly the first show I can remember in which we had three duds in a row and they all happened to feature the biggest, pretty much all entirely the biggest stars in the company. However, guys, do we really think anything is going to change on that score? But I do not want that to detract from the performances of at least three or four people on the undercard who really deserve their time to shine and we will give them all the credit they deserve as we go through this event. So then let's kick it off. I've got some very long show notes here, by the way. Uh, we're back in Baltimore. And as ever for pay-per-view these days, Tony, Mike and the Brain are on the call. After a lot of padding, to the extent the crowd starts a slow hand clap, 
Our first match is the final one between Chris Benoit and Booker T. The absolute total last to complete ending match. Oh, yes. They will never fight each other again. No sorry. On Thunder, Booker was awarded the win by DQ after Brett interfered, but he didn't want to win that way. And given what a putz Brett looks like these days, who can blame him? So then, our opening match on the pay-per-view, Chris Benoit versus Booker T for a TV title shot later in the night. Lock-ups to start, and they both share a takedown each. The book clamps on a headlock, which goes nowhere, and now Benoit wrenches the arm into a hammerlock, which is nicely reversed into a three-quarter Nelson for a sharp two. Back to the, back to the hammerlock, but T just shrugs it off. Shoulder block, cover, kick out. Benoit with a charge, but he eats boot, but he flips it into a dragon screw leg, leg whip. Mega chops in the corner, which literally shaked the sweat off Booker's chest, and a backdrop suplex for a two. Whip reversals, but Booker gets caught on a leapfrog, and Benoit is back with the chops and a snap suplex for another two count. Hard whip, and Booker bounces off the buckles, but he is able to counter a side suplex into a twist for a two. Snap there by the crippler, and he slows things down with a rear chin lock. T gets a moderate response for his comeback, which is swiftly cut off by a knee to the gut by Benoit. Gord Buster onto the top rope and then a forearm to send him to the outside. And he slowly he slowly rolls back in. Lariat gets another two. Vicious chop and another tight chin lock is worked into a reverse surfboard. If essentially, both guys are in a seated position whilst Benoit wrenches the arms. Fascinating stuff. A brilliant move. Uh, Booker fights out and lends a desperation power slam, but he sells injured knee. And then misses a flying body press by absolute light years. Benoit tries to haul him down into the crossface, but he stayed on his feet just long enough to allow Booker to get to the ropes. Holy psychology, Batman. Book with a spinning kick and a pancake, and he spins up. Again, though, he gets caught going up the ropes, and now we're going to see a superplex, which for some reason the crowd were really into. We get a double down and a delayed cover eventually for about a 2.7 count. And Chris breaks out the rolling Germans. Booker blocks a, blocks a third, but here's a fucking dragon suplex for a mighty close near fall. Everybody bought that as the end of the match. Booker is down after all that, and Benoit is able to connect with the flying headbutt, but he can't go for the pin immediately. So once more, Booker scraps out at two. Flash Cradle gets a two for Booker. Two Harlem sidekicks, as the first one pretty much whiffed, sets up the missile drop kick for the one, two, three. Booker wins the series 4-3, and he will go on to face Finley for the TV title later tonight. Billy? Yeah, tre- well, what, what could I say, really? This was a uh, tremendous opener. Um, I really like the selling from uh, Booker in this match. Uh, you know, he had the injured knee throughout. Uh, uh, the, the exchanges were uh, really strong, and the crowd were like really into the near falls towards the end. It really helped that had uh, super hot crowds, and... Uh, you know, you could argue that both men deserve to go over, really. It was it was really, really good. And uh, I thought it was a, a tremendous opener from WCW. Peter? Yeah, now I think I can understand why Booker T came out of the limo on the second Nitro. Clearly, he is the man they're, uh, they're going to move forward with. So I should have telegraphed that this would be a, a Booker T win, I suppose. But no, Billy's right for an opener. And it to be match number eight of their series, you have to give these two guys a lot of credit to keep the level of interest and the crowd hot for the eighth match these two guys have faced off in the last month. So fair play to them both for keeping that uh, alive. And sometimes you can watch the same match over and over again and just think, why are you bothering? These these two have got a great chemistry together. Uh, a bit gutted that Benoit didn't get the win. I think he... Um, that the move set that he's got, I think the side kicks and the, the missile drop kick for for a pin doesn't really do it for me. Benoit's 
too much of a of a hard case to take that that pin really, especially after that dragon uh, uh, dragon suplex and the, the headbutt off the top. But um, I think it's very hard to pick who was going to win. But as an opener for a WWE pay per view, uh, a fantastic start. Really enjoyed it. Peter, it's Benoit losing too often on pay per view. This is his fifth straight defeat. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the point. I, I don't know what the plan is with this guy. Are they trying to get him into a sort of a losing streak to to then build him back up into something bigger? That's got to be the hope because in the ring, I mean, the guy's just on point. He's he's, he's pretty well, he stand out, isn't he? Really, in the roster as such. So there must be something you hope in the future. And I believe later on in the month there are a few things planned. Um, maybe for Benoit, but it could be another rehash, though. But um, I think it just elevates Booker T, I suppose. You know, he's now had the experience of, of facing off with Benoit almost on a you know a nightly basis now, and that can only improve him going forward. So it's a good outlook for both of them in this company. I just hope they can get somewhere near the top, get some of these old, uh, old guys out of the way. And elevating Booker was the absolute point of this exercise, I believe. He's been arriving, as they say, for whew, a good year now. But I think he's finally reached the destination. He looked so confident in this match. And yes, if you've wrestled Chris Benoit, I think it must be about 20 times they've fought each other, at least this year, if you take into account their earlier pay-per-view and TV matches, their house show loop with exchange for TV title a few times, and of course, this eight-match series. You're going to get better and better when you're in there with the master. But my goodness me, has Booker ever taken the opportunity he's been given? They've really wanted to push this guy and push this guy hard. And for a few months, they were probably ahead of him, I think. He was absolutely giving his all in there, make no mistake. But it was a bit of a struggle. And I think that's why they got him in the ring with workers, people like Saturn and Rick Martel when he was around. To hope that by osmosis he was going to pick up some of their in-ring skills because they've clearly got big plans for him and so they should. He hung with Benoit every step of the way here. Didn't look remotely out of place. At no point did I think that Benoit was carrying him. Thought the back and forth of this match was tremendous. I was pulling for both guys uh, to coin a phrase which people are hearing a bit more at this time of the year. They both held and, ge- held and gave and did it at the right time. <laughs> uh, yeah, was the, should Booker have won? So Benoit has lost five on the spin on pay-per-view and that is way too much in my opinion uh, if you want to give Booker the rub is, is this not the way to do it? I think Benoit can be reheated it looks like later this month they've got a particular idea for doing that and we might touch on that a bit later on yeah ben, uh, Benoit gave Booker a hell of a match here of course he did I think the right person just about won despite Benoit's losing streak and we will see Booker again a bit later in the night but yes a very, very strong opener. And I think if Booker was almost there before this match, he is now there. And a huge credit to him for being so. Charvo is in the internet location. He believes that Eddie was right after all and that he really does want to fight. Yeah. Huh? Our next match is Saturn versus Canyon. Another long one here. Despite having a new name, Canyon still emerges in his old Mortis garb and to the Phantom of the Opera knockoff organ music. Except he doesn't, because the real Canyon sneaks in and gets a two-count from a roll-up straight away. He doesn't waste any time with some big moves, including a huge face-first powerbomb. He punches out the flock, but Saturn pulls the legs and splashes back in off the apron. Canyon, though, gets control again and plants Saturn with a top-rope DDT. He ate that one. The flock recover, but then Saturn is able to dive on top of them before Nick Patrick sees them off. 
whipped the guardrail, knocks Canyon down, and then Saturn suplexes him back in while still on the second rope to get a two. Ankle Lock does not get a submission in this town as Canyon reaches the ropes. What I can best describe as an inverted chancery also doesn't get the big man to quit. Springboard clothesline sends both men back out to the floor. Perry nabs a chair and uses it for another springboard to kick Canyon right in the face with. A moonsault off the chair only gets a two, and Canyon is up, perhaps a bit quickly, with a Russian leg sweep. Canyon catches a press over the ropes into a mighty Northern Light suplex complete with bridge. My notes simply read, wow, two count there. Saturn fights out of a side suplex for two, already the second time we've seen that spot today, and the audience have gone a bit quiet. Canyon with a stun gun and an inside cradle, but Saturn kicks out. Backside by Saturn for two. Jackknife roll up by Canyon for two. A cross between the rings and a lateral press by Saturn gets two. They are breaking them all out today. Uh, Canyon lifts him on his shoulders for what I've described as a stomach first fall away slam for yet another two. Disgracefully, we get a boring chance, but Canyon doesn't listen and gives him a Death Valley neck breaker for two. T-bone by Saturn for two. I sound like James Alexander Gordon here. A DVD attempt, but Canyon gets the ropes. Sidekick, and then we're up on the buckles. They scrap it out, but the two of them get crotched and spill down to the floor. Oh, here we go now. Two mortises somehow end up in the ring, and they slog it out to a symphony of silence. Back to the match. Canyon catches Saturn off the ropes into a flat liner for, indeed, a flat win. One of the mortises, one of the mortises hits a certain kind of DDT on Canyon, and I don't need to tell you who it is. He now has the mic and says that Saturn failed his assignment tonight. Saturn snaps, but of course the flock makes sure he doesn't get far until Saturn goes suplex crazy. Raven is able to escape, though, because Raven. Peter? Blimey, where to start? Um, I thought that at some point this was like match of the night scenario. I mean, the Canyon, I mean, what a... What a, a showcase for, for the moveset this guy's got. I mean, wow, there was just so much going on. And Saturn as well is one of these guys who's got, you know, some pretty uh, pretty extreme moves out there. I love the uh, WCW debut for the uh, triple jump moonsault as well. And an ode to Sabu there, I believe, at one point, which was nice. Um, the flock is just becoming incredibly tiresome now. And it's interfering. And actually, this could have been a really good match. Maybe a little bit shorter about all the, the bollocks that was going on, this was, a, a, to put it into that context, this was a great match. And and Canyon, I think, is, is one of these guys, I think, who's now put himself out there and is a real talent and, and could could go somewhere in this company or in, in, in wrestling in 98 and beyond. So um, I just think the whole Raven, Saturn, Flock, um, it's just, I don't know, it seems to, they seem to change their mind every week as to who's... You know, it's been disbanded, they're back together. He likes Saturn, he hates Saturn. That takes it all away from Canyon, which really, he was the guy who stood out the most. And that's what the sad thing is about this match. That Canyon, although he won it, it was it was the ending, it was flat. The Mortis thing is still being used, which I think is negative towards him now. Who was the other Mortis? We don't know, do we? He, Raven obviously punched out. I have to say the, uh, the DDT on the outside to Canyon was, looked pretty awesome from Raven at the end. Um, but where does it all go from here? Does, does, has Canyon now done with the flock, or has now he got to face Raven one on one? Is it Raven and Saturn again? And that's what I think the saddest thing about this was that we, we've got no clear outcome. But Raven, I'm sorry, but Canyon was the absolute star, and this guy must be must be practicing and practicing and practicing his moves, and how how many different variations he can do to win over 
any crowd. So my hat's off to him, and I'm looking forward to seeing him again uh, next month, next you know, next six months. He, he looks like an awesome talent. Billy. Uh, yeah, uh, it's a great showcase for Canyon. Uh, it, uh, I think like Peter pretty much pointed out, uh, you know, he was uh, busting his ass out there and uh, he was trying everything to sort of win the crowd over. Uh, I would say, obviously, some of the build, maybe that was why the crowd probably didn't react to the action as well as they should have done. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like at times the crowd was a bit, Disinterested, and Rory, you brought up the boring chant. It was, it was a shame because both men really did work really, really hard, and uh, it was just like the finish really, really dragged uh, the match down for me. You know, I would uh, have said like this match was match of the night if it if it wasn't for that confusing finish. Which uh, there's uh, two mortises, uh, one's Raven and the other one we, we just don't know who that is. That was never explained, and. Uh, I just don't think it really helped Canyon or Saturn any of all this nonsense that was going on around them when they put on this perfectly fine match. I should add, when I mentioned James Alexander Gordon there, some of you might not know who he is, so I wouldn't blame you. Uh, he's the the man on grandstand on Saturdays on final score who reads out the the, the football scores. And you can always tell by the... T- Sorry, no, he's at Radio 5 Live. You can always tell by the tone of his voice what the actual score is. So when he says Arsenal two, you know he's going to say Aston Villa two. So when I was reading through, oh, oh. that would never happen there, would it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 all right, oh, oh, all right, Mister Double Winner. All right. <laughs> be rabbiting through the twos there. In, I thought, in Arsenal, uh, we trust. In Arsenal, we trust. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had to get that one in. Didn't he? Yeah, this match, um, ton of fun, absolute ton of fun. Canyon, like I said in the intro given an opportunity, and he took it. It could easily have been overawed by being himself on pay-per-view, you know, unmasked, going by something which is much closer to his real name. People getting a chance to see what he can do. I see people in the back, we're giving you 15 minutes. Show me. And he did. He brought his A-game moveset-wise. I had no idea some of the things he was doing, and they looked amazing. I mean, the press into a Northern Lights suplex without any flinching whatsoever and the bridge to put it into a pinning combination. That's stunning stuff. That is A, a grade. And he's in there with the right guy because Saturn, well, he's been around the block a bit. He knows how to take moves like that. And he's he, he's no slouch in the uh, running through them from A to Z either. The issue I had with this, in addition with the all the storyline stuff, which did override it, but we sort of saw that coming anyway, is that towards the end, it did just become an exchange of moves. As I say, freaking awesome moves. Now, this wasn't just punch, punch, kick, kick, for goodness sake. But it did slip from its moorings in the match context, and it became a bit of an exhibition. But if we're going to have exhibitions, at least make them good ones, and this was that. And I really hope that Canyon people were watching, watching him closely because he could go, go places. Keep that move set. I don't want to see him drop any of them. But just work on the bits between them a bit more, and he could go far. Yes, given a chance to show what they could do. Both these guys, actually, because I still think there's somewhere you can go with Saturn when the Raven thing is done. And they both came through with, once again, flying colours. Good show, chaps. Good show. Next match, Cruiserweight title, Dean Malenko against Chris Jericho. The crowd gets on Jericho's case from the start, so he just folds his arms. He's just brilliant, isn't he? And in a fast start, they close down one another, but they get right back up. Jericho with a kick, and he assumes early control. 
Malenko is back with a suplex, and this one has kicked off hot. Jericho meets a charge with a boot and runs Malenko down with a shoulder tackle. Double leg pickup and lion tamer attempt, but Malenko is able to flip out of it. Lovely suplex by Dean for two. Snap bow into a rear chin lock right between the shoulder blades. Jericho gets up and he hits, well, I've called it a mule kick to break it off, but that's a very crude, crude expression. The move looked a lot better than that. Dean hits the post on a slide and tries to recover on the outside, but Chris dives onto him over the top rope. Back in with a vertical suplex, followed by the ever-brilliant come-on-baby pin. I want to see that get a three-count one day. Release suplex also scores a two. Crowd are extremely quiet, but we do get to hear one hardy soul shout, come on, Dean. Slam and then a lion salt attempt, but it only gets the mat. Tremendous rolling cradle scores him a two count, and we're into the corner for the six punches. Sort of flapjack into a very tight pin, also secures a two count only. Back to the ropes, and Dean teases the super gut buster, but Jericho counters with the super rana. Super. After a 10 count is teased, Chris dives into a cover with a big leg hook, but only two. Powerbomb reversed into a sit-down for two. Lion tamer by Jericho, but Dino crawls his way to the ropes. Alabama slammed by Jericho, but Malenko is able to battle via a few, via a few pinfall attempts into the cloverleaf. But again, before too long, we're in the ropes. Butterfly backbreaker, and Malenko seems to be bleeding from his mouth. Jericho slaps him in the face and mocks his dead father, and now Dean has had enough. He punches the tar out of Jericho and gives him a pacing with Dave Penzer's chair. That is worthy of the bell ringing, which it must be said only gets moderate boos. Dean continues to beat on the Lionheart all the way to the back, complete with Jericho trying to hide in the ladies, and now they're outside in the parking lot. He gets thrown into a mailbox, and while Doug Dillinger remonstrates with Dino, Chris escapes over a pelican crossing and into a building across the street. Billy. <laughs> what, what can I say uh, about this match, really? Uh, all the stuff in the ring was uh, very, very good. You know, really can't expect anything less from uh, Jericho and Malenko. Um, well, uh, you know, when they uh, did the angle last month where Malenko was revealed to be sick of A, obviously the crowd was really super hot into that. Uh, unfortunately for this match, uh, the crowd was a bit dead at some points. Uh, I suppose they, the crowd sort of forgave them for the DQ finish because obviously Jericho brought up the, the whole uh, dead father line, which, you know, it's wrestling. We're, we're going to use that sort of silly stuff. Uh, I, I did like the fight towards the end. I thought it was uh, very, very good. Uh, Jericho's screaming is very, very comical. Uh, I really do like this uh, Chris Jericho character. And uh, it was good to see Doug Dillinger doing a fine job and letting Chris Jericho run out into a bunch of traffic and <laughs> over the road. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, just too early, wasn't it? You know, Doug Dillinger is in kayfabe and he's on kayfabe. He's there for the welfare of everybody in the building. He just seems to be really good at his job. He lets everyone like uh, like jump matches each and every week. And uh, yeah, uh, he was like really protecting Chris Jericho well here. <laughs> just, so he just stands in front of the camera so all we can see is his fucking arse, for God's sake. And there he is letting, letting Chris Jericho run across a, a, a busy run across a busy road into God knows what was going on. And up. But I'd love to know what was going on in that building across the road, like, like the local WI cake making or something. <laughs> Jericho could make that work, I bet. But uh, anyway, I'm uh, pick your thoughts on the match. And that's been a person, one of those cars at the uh, at the Pelican Cross. That'd been hilarious just to watch this guy <laughs> just staggering across, screaming. I mean, amazing. Um, that was probably the moment of the night. 
which I'm not quite sure is a, a positive thing or a, a negative thing, but it was the ending I thought was really good. I only wish Jericho had perhaps mentioned his dead father at the beginning of the match to get that fire in Malenko, because when Malenko is fired up, he's a different wrestler, he's a different kind of character, different animal, as it were. Okay, we don't want a DQ finish at the beginning of the match, but it could have literally just, you know, the back and forth could have been great, and Jericho could have been you know, cowering off, and Malenko's just kicking the crap out of him. It didn't start that way, and, and Jericho's been mocking Malenko and, you know, his dead parentage for a long time now, so why isn't he pissed off with Jericho? And he even gave up the title on Thunder, I mean, how pissed off do you want to be about your life? You know, you've you won the title, and they have to give it up to give Jericho a chance. And we now also don't know, is he the title holder after the DQ win? So is it now held up or has Jericho won the Cruiserweight title after the, uh, after the event? So the commentators didn't seem to quite know what the answer to that was, which was a bit interesting. But the match itself, going back to sort of Booker T and Benoit, where these, those two guys have had a, a really strong series and it's engaged the crowd and kept it going, I don't know if this is just starting to wane a bit now. Jericho is an absolute superstar, and I think he, his character and his mannerisms are just absolute A star all the way. And he's 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 got it right now. I mean, compared, I, think I mentioned last month that bland uh, baby face that he was probably what two years ago compared to what he is now. It's just an absolute overhaul. Um, and Malenko, I think, has got better. His promos have got a little bit better but he's still a little bit dull at times. Fantastic wrestling. Um, uh, it's just a shame. It, it almost like a nitro finish. I mean, a cruiserweight division is normally, you know, there's normally pinfalls. We normally get a winner. It was strange to see a DQ finish and then almost a brawl ECW style out to the parking lot. So uh, a different way of finishing it, which was, which was different and quite funny to look at, but um, not quite sure it was the, the showcase that the cruiserweights wanted compared to the sort of the TV titles been getting. So an interesting sort of way of looking at it that way. But again, can't fault the in ring yet again. Two guys who, you know, prop up the uh, sort of mid card, upper mid card potentially with Jericho really well. So it's been a pretty decent start to the show so far. Yep, I said it last month. You put these two in the ring, give them time, you know what you're going to get. Solid three stars easily and often a lot more than that. These two just work so well together. They're two of the best in the company. I don't think anybody could have any issues with that. My only problems come with the, the booking and the finish again, really. Yeah. They, as I said last month, they got everything right up until the first bell rang at Slamboree, which I still think should have just been a 30-second squash. Then you do a match like this, maybe, and then you do the final blow-off, maybe, at next month's pay-per-view. I wouldn't have done all the business with holding the belt in abeyance as fucking fantastic as Jericho's promos and vignettes have been about going backwards through the rule book. He's in the Library of Congress trying to find if he can anything about the rules of battle royals and he's there. He's talking to somebody holding a 24-hour peace vigil about going over the top rope, which is fantastic. I would not want to lose that for the world. But I would have still somehow kept Malenko as champion after last month and maybe just do a double DQ here rather than Jericho winning by DQ. Have him wind up Malenko about his dead father. Dean snaps. Brawl, and you still do all the stuff brawling outside the arena. And Jericho trying to stop traffic. If anybody can, he can. Do all of that, but just don't hold the belt in abeyance. I'm not into all that funky stuff. Yeah, it gives JJ Dillon a chance to sound you know, a bit like a proper official and everything. But 
I want to see champions be champions. I don't like them being held up for too long. Yeah, really good match. Solid stuff in the middle of a pay-per-view from two of the very best. I don't mind that this feud is still going on, but it's probably reached... I think it reached its apex as soon as Dean took his mask off last month, to be honest with you. But let's face it, Jericho could carry this. They could, they could do this for another six months. With anybody else, it wouldn't work. Jericho could come up with new things every single week and I'd still be there. But maybe bring it to a close next month. Yeah. If you just want to see a good match between two extremely good wrestlers, then you know where to go. Okay, after a video package showing him walking around a park in sunglasses, I think that counts as character development these days, it is time for Juventud Guerrera against Reese. Mike Tanay calls this the biggest size discrepancy in WCW history. I like to think that is code for one of the biggest quality discrepancies in WCW history. Reese no-sells everything from the bell, but I for one do find that painful. Hoovy nips outside and runs away a bit. He goes for a springboard over the ropes, but Reese, of course, catches him and runs him into the post and throws him back into the ring. Hoovy asks for more and tries to tries kicks to the knee, but that's not going to work. He does the school bully hair grab, but one kick sort of does something-ish. The juice then jumps on his back and wrenches the eyes. Reese actually does go down to one knee, but in the, ha- in the end, he rams him into the turnbuckles. Methodical backbreaker, you don't say, and a big beal. And I think Reese is already working on emergency electricity supplies here. The bear, the bear hug, because you knew that was coming, eats up some time, and then Guerrero just opts for a low blow or two. Again, though, he gets cut off way too easily with one single punch. A suplex by Reef, a suplex by Reese, and then he wants the ref to count him down for ten. That's not a thing. God, what a dumb spot that was. Hoventud is up before that made-up count, but he's about to get hit with a chair. The ref stops it, but Reese is back to the boar hug. Sorry, the bear hug. Always got those two mixed up. Hammer is here with a chair shot for Reese, allowing Hoovy to try to run a Reese and try to roll it into a pin and try to hold his shoulders down. For the sake of argument, we will say that all of that did happen because then we get a three count to end this. Good. Peter, don't let me down. <laughs> I think if I was there live, I would have gone for the piss break at this point, clearly, because this was the piss break match. Um, I don't get why Hammer isn't just facing Reed. Why do we have to have Juventus, bless him, up against this just lump, isn't he? He's just... This has been on Nitro, isn't it? Week after week after week. So we know the story. We know that, you know, it's the, the David versus Goliath. Reese has got about as much talent as a fingernail. It's just... It's just, <laughs> it's just awful. Um, and it makes Juventus just... Um, I don't know. I don't get what the plan is here. I mean, Hammer, okay, he's a big guy. He comes in with a chair. He makes a difference. Otherwise, you can't. In, in your wildest dreams, could you think even two would beat Reese in a one-on-one match due to the size? Uh, it took a chair shot and sort of a, a weird-looking sort of Rana, I think, wasn't it, to get the surprise pin, you know? And, and you even two, at this point last month, gave up his chance to have the the cruiserweight shot, didn't he, against um, Jericho to Ciclope, and now he's got the, the payoff of fa- play, uh, facing Reese one-on-one on the pay-per-view. I mean, the poor poor guy. And as for the the uh, the vignette before the match, what was going on there? <laughs> it was very strange. Um, I don't understand why it was there. It's a shame this has brought down sort of this this part of the show. Um I've run out of words to say. Reese should just, I don't know, 
just go back to being the Yeti and go back to his cave, I think, shouldn't they? <laughs> I guess you could say that Reese's performance in this one was abominable. I Is that good enough for you, Rory? Is that good enough for you? I thank you. <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> Very go good. On. Go on, go on, Billy. Your turn. I know you've been, I know you've been looking forward to it. Oh, wow. How do I follow that? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this was... Uh, oh, God. Uh, yeah, Reese. <laughs> I would like to say that he was, uh, you know, just trying not to be uh, coherent. Uh, trying to help Hoovy in any way whatsoever, but the guy's just really not very talented, and this is what we got was uh, really dull and uh, dull match, which they blew spot after spot, it seemed. Uh, it was very, very bad. I, I felt sorry for Hoovy because he really does deserve better. You know, maybe they could have put Billy Kidman here. It would probably have uh, resulted in uh, a better match. Obviously, the crowd still would have been dead for it because they don't care about either of these guys. Uh, and Reese just, oh, what, what, what could I say? He's just, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, the guy would have been a big star. He's obviously come up during the run time in the business and uh this was just it was it was terrible <laughs> correct okay let's let's be a little wary of hypocrisy here though we often say about the cruiserweights that that is their ceiling they're there they got some cool moves they jump around a bit they get the crowd going they wrestle in the opening match second from the bottom if they're really lucky get a few cheers, slap a few hands, and they go away to let the big stars do their stuff, okay? So, when somebody who is a pure cruiserweight like Hooventude gets an opportunity to be involved in a more standard North American-style feud, we shouldn't balk at it right away. We need to wait and see who he's against. And then we see he's against Reese, and then we complain about it. I mean, for the love of fucking God. <laughs> I was being really worried. <laughs> I just... Even worse, they, have, they built a fucking feud around this. On the Nitro here, poor old Hoovy saddled having to buddy up with Van fucking Hammer in a tag match against Reese and Horace. And they've got Hoovy, who's been on fire this year, cracking matches with everybody. Uh, the match he had on Nitro at the end of last month against Kidman, one of the best matches of the year, TV or pay-per-view, full stop. And what's his reward? Hammer, Horace and Reese, three of the worst workers on this or any other planet. He was trying his guts out out there, make no mistake, but Reese's guts in every way <laughs> overrode his. He's awful. We just didn't, he didn't know what he was doing out there. He wasn't even a... I can't even give him credit for trying, though. He just... He was just, as you say, he was just a big lump. And that Rana spot, he'd clearly never seen a Rana before in his life. And Hoobie had to work. Hoobie had to work as if he was at 450 pounds just to get him down, let alone say, yeah, this is the part where I pin you, mate. Don't fucking move if you if you could anyway. Yeah, this was a complete disaster, not Hoobintu's fault. He's been one of the stars of this year since he lost his mask, which I find interesting. But yeah, just just end this horrible feud. Put Hoobintu'd with people he needs to be in there with and just put Reese away. <laughs> okay, Eddie versus Charbona, a match which has also had a lot of build. It's better than the last match, stay with us. As in the internet area earlier, Eddie does not want to fight, but Charbo sure does as he proves with a big slap. 
Eddie tries to relent, but he can't. So here comes some big chops into the ropes and a back body drop. Eddie takes over and the two exchange punches on the mat. Eddie with a European uppercut and then a good old stamp to the face. He hits a shoulder on a charge, though, tries to recover on the apron, but Chavo, Chavo isn't giving him a single second. We get the head tour of the turnbuckle pads for Eddie, and we get a bit of ground and pound. A couple of nice head scissors by Chavo, but Uncle puts on the brakes from a whip. Again, though, Chavo's not having that, and he chases him down to sling him into the ring. Eddie up with a side suplex, and he brings on the crowd's booze. Chavo back with a monkey flip and ascends the ropes to hit a lovely moonsault press for a two count. He goes for it all, though, and ends up back on the outside after an Eddie Lowbridge. Back in for a great brain bust. Back in for a great brain buster and some undignified slaps. Chavo makes like Undertaker and chokes him from a laying down position. Chavo is wild. Eddie runs away until he can hide behind the referee. Out of view, Eddie with a desperation drop kick to the knee, and here comes the figure of four. Uh, the crowd are distracted by somebody, I think, being thrown out of the arena, whilst Eddie puts on the gory special. Chavo flips out with an arm drag, but Eddie is right back on him with a camel clutch. Argentinian backbreaker, why is it called that? Uh, into a whirly bird and now a scoop slam. Recovery backdrop by Nephew and then a cannonball without even touching the top rope. Sadly, though, he almost entirely missed the move to the point where even Tony couldn't cover for them. Eddie still sold it, but that was a pity. And then we unfortunately get a We Want Flair chant. Of all the great American bashes I want to remind her of, 1991 is not one of them. Thank you very much. As Chavo gets a bulldog in the ring for a near three. He climbs the buckles, but Eddie knocks him off and the young and lands on his bum knee. Eddie, though, misses an attempt at the frog splash. Then we get this really good finishing sequence. The tornado DDT is blocked, but a springboard rolling DDT isn't. Eddie actually lands in the ropes, but Chavo hauls him back into the middle of the ring and the cover is good for the three. Chavo beats Eddie. Billy. Yeah, I'm just going to like basically be repeating myself here. Uh, it was uh, another really good match, um, which really, uh, you know, you shouldn't be surprised Eddie Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero could uh, put on a good match uh, any day of the week. Uh, again, uh, it's, the crowd was just, it was really starting to bother me at this point. I really felt if they were... Like, really behind Chavo, it would have made the match just so much better. But, um, fortunately, uh, they decided to chant, we want flair and watch other people get kicked out and uh, really not pay much attention to this. It was a bit of a shame. Uh, but um, I, I like the finish. And, uh, yeah, pretty much it, really. Peter. Yeah, um, I'm quite pleased Chavo won. I mean, that was a... I mean, uh, a slight upset, I would suggest. I mean, considering sort of the career and sort of Eddie Guerrero standing in WCW, but I think the build was good and the story was good. The match was pretty decent. Not many high spots, though, for these two, which I was a bit surprised. I thought they would do chuck a few more out there. There's quite a lot of map-based stuff going on. Um, that's potentially why the crowd probably didn't get so so hot for it. Um, a bit worrying, as Billy mentioned, sort of the crowd responses to... The, the mid card, should we call it? It's just like Bischoff's justification to, to, to roll out all these so called superstars in the main event because the crowd seems to obviously go mental for them for no apparent reason. Because obviously, in the ring, they're absolutely pretty much toilet now, but these guys are giving everything they've got for 15, 20 minutes, and the crowd just, I know, they're waiting to see Savage or someone come out, aren't they, later on? I don't know. It's a bit of a, a weird thing, but work rate and 
performance. Again, you can't fault these two guys. I think Shavo winning will mean this moves on as well. So it's definitely not an end point. Um, he's come on leaps and bounds. We've got another new a new guy potentially here who could probably go into sort of TV title or obviously the cruiserweight division again. So that's working well. Um, I think the uh, the finish seemed a bit bit jumpy. It seemed like they didn't quite. Uh, it wasn't quite on time. It looked a bit a bit slow. And then, obviously, when he landed outside the ropes, I don't think that's quite the plan either. And and Eddie, I think Eddie was laying there thinking, yeah, I'm taking this pin. I shouldn't really probably be taking this this loss, but I will do. Um, he's lost a little bit of credi- credibility because he didn't want to, to beat up on Chavo. And Chavo seemed absolutely up for it to go and kick his uncle's ass, which is credit to him. Shame about the crowd, though. But I think this is obviously the, the end of the upsurge, I think, pretty much in this card. So, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens going forward with these two. Yeah, when you look at the match we had last month with Eddie and Dragon, which was an excellent wrestling match, but was slightly playing second fiddle towards the end of the storyline, this was kind of the opposite. A good, not great, but good in-ring match in which the storyline really helped it along. And I think Chavo had to win here, especially when you consider both leading up to and afterwards, he's almost become the heel in this particular feud. Eddie not wanting to face him. Chavo slowly losing his mind. At the end, last night, shall we see him interrupting an Eddie match on a hobby horse or something? Or <laughs> okay. all, all right then, creative team. Okay. Yeah, good match. Chavo's coming out party, I think. He's always been impressive, but he's never really had a character. A, a, a high flyer who doesn't really excite me. There aren't many of those. So I think here that he did, with one or two exceptions, as you say, Peter, really ground it and show what it could do on the mat. I think he really needed that to A, show he's got a few more strings to his bow to to the creative team and want to keep pushing him, perhaps. And two, because it worked in this match because he wanted to beat Eddie so much because we know that Eddie can do anything. Sharp thought, yeah, I'm not just going to fly around. I'm going to try and beat you at one of your own games. And he did. And whether it was a mistake or not, I really liked the finishing sequence. Chavo couldn't quite get the Tornado DDT on, but he was able to modify it a little bit when he springboarded in over the ropes. He got that, and Eddie lands on the ropes on the other side of the ring. And when you think about it realistically, that could happen. As a, it, I, I don't think that was planned, but if it was, in my view, it was a happy accident. Chavo quickly, because you would, wouldn't you? If you want to go for a pinfall, you've got a chance to win your opponents in the ropes. You would as quickly as you can. You'd run over there, you'd grab them away, and you'd go for the pin. So, yeah, I thought that worked fine. I have no problems with it whatsoever. Also, I noticed, noticed as well that apparently, I don't know if it, it really came across to you guys, but apparently this match was actually cut short. It was supposed to be at least three minutes longer. I would not have known that if I hadn't read it, but uh, but there you are. Yeah, good match. I think they're capable of better from a pure in-ring perspective. But telling this story, which I still think is inching towards a double turn, I can see Eddie going face sometime soon, and Chava being the heel constantly just badgering him all the time. Chavo had to win this one. He did. Eddie is the pro. Puts him over clean as a whistle. Another good quality wrestling match on a show with which, with only one exception early on, is, is really cooking. And we're going to roll it on with our TV title match with Fit Finley defending it against Booker T. Uh, the second time this year Booker has done double duty on the pay-per-view, incidentally. This one has the extended time limit, although we're not told how long. <laughs> what do you want? Jam on it? Stiff strikes by Booker. Stiff strikes by Booker don't send Fit down, but a spin kick does. Finley, though, is up quickly and he grabs the ankle for an early submission attempt. Booker already looks a little tired to me as he goes to a headlock. 
A big forearm is a bit more like it, but the Belfast, the Belfast boy is up straight away. Close line over the top of the plancher, and they both look good. Once again, the heel is thrown back in first, and he's able to get the advantage with an array of very painful-looking leg locks. Half Boston Crab, and he don't half wrench on it, Mum. Hyperextension of the knee follows, and Booker sells the pain of that very convincingly indeed. He gets a desperation kick, but you won't shake fit off that easily, because the legwork is, is relentless. He slams it down on the apron and then grinds it against the bottom rope. Whip reversal by the buckles and a rolling cradle again is worth a two-count per book. It's only a brief respite as Fit is working the leg in ways and means that I'm not even sure are legal, including wrapping Booker's left leg around his neck. I should, I should say he's wrapping... I should say that's Finley's neck, not Booker's, but even so. <laughs> Booker has enough to send him off and just respond with hard punches, but once more, he cannot get anywhere. The focus on the left leg is pure dead-eye stuff, Whilst, interestingly, Tony remembers seeing Finlay in London Arena in 1989. Hmm, which company were touring London then, I wonder? And who was Tony working for? <laughs> Nears thrown into the post and then obey the bomb to the leg. The crowd once again celebrate another Yahoo being chucked out of the arena as a sidekick buys Booker some time. Uh, the boring chants come back, sadly. There's an, there's an axe kick and a spin and a super lariat. Uh, the tombstone is teased, and Booker, in theory, reverses it. He actually can't get fit up. I personally think that was the planned finish. Uh, Finley, though, is an old pro, so he comes up with this improvisation. He reverses it back with a flop pin for a lucky two. Uh, they stand up, and Booker gets uh, Booker whips fit into the buckles. And on the rebound, Booker hits a drop-to-the-knees front pile driver. I've never seen that before. Not sure I want to see it again. But anyway... That is enough to get Booker the TV title, which, in my view, he deserves. Peter? Yeah, I'm, I'm a massive Fit Finley fan. I think he's been great. And uh, it's a shame that we all kind of knew that Booker T was going to win this match. I think having gone through what he's gone through to get here, to then lose this match would have been an absolute anticlimax. So we knew Booker was going to win. Um, the psychology in this match is what... what I wouldn't say it troubled me. You know, I did sleep uh, uh, after I watched it the next night, but it was a bit of a uh, working on the, the legs and the knees um, massively. So Booker's like selling this crippling sort of injury to his knee and Fitz just continuing to work it over. You'd think that Booker would then maybe not use things like the sidekick and you know, the spinning thing that he does because he couldn't do those things. So it was actually quite good to see him use a pile driver to win the match that made sense rather than that maybe the missile drop kick off the top with his feet that made sense so i don't know quite what happened you know at one point you're selling near death that your knee's gonna be ripped off and then next minute you've got side kicks and axe kicks kicking off and all sorts i think he needs probably to work a little bit on that because finley was doing what he was doing right but i'm not sure that hooker was quite playing the same game but i think the right man won I agree with you, Rory. I think it, you know he deserves the, this win. It does seem like a lot of effort, blessing for the TV title, though. I will say that you know this is a. I mean, it probably has been elevated this title, but poor Book has had to go through an absolute, you know, <laughs> hell of a time in the last sort of six weeks to finally get this belt back around his waist. But fair play to him. I do worry about where Finley goes now because Benoit's on a losing streak. Finley's now lost the title. Is he going back to? opening matches on Nitro or dare I say it worldwide whatever it may be I hope he still is in the mix here somewhere because I think he's earned you know a spot somewhere in this sort of mid card as well but uh, please for Booker uh, he clearly is somebody something somebody sorry that WCW are now going to get behind having a title around your waist i.e. Goldberg doesn't hurt at all does it so uh, good to see 
I agree. Billy? Oh, OK. Uh, well, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record here and say about the crowd and uh, how much of a good match it was. Uh, Peter made a good point of uh, pointing out the psychology was a bit off at times for them. But, you know, they obviously tried to go out there and have a, a really good match and tried to get the crowd invested. And again, they just they weren't. And it was uh, unfortunate for both of them because they probably deserve to have the crowd here. You know, they should have really been behind uh, Booker T to obviously overcome all the odds and uh, finally beat Finley and win back the TV title. Um, really not sure about where this will lead for both of them. And, uh, yeah, uh, it, it was it was just a perfectly fine match. There's nothing really else to add, is there, really? I thought this was a really smartly booked match. Booker has just gone 20 minutes with probably the best wrestler in the world. And that's going to take it out of you. going to take it out of anybody. And here he is doing double duty. As I say, not the first time he's even done that on pay-per-view this year. They have worked him so damn hard. And he was clearly tired going into this match. No fault of his own. So they recognized that. So they bought him some time by having Finley work all these leg locks for a good seven, eight, nine minutes. And in reality, it allowed Booker to recover. And in kayfabe, it looked like Finley was trying to rip his goddamn legs off. What a perfect combination that is. That is pro wrestling. When they call this stuff art, that's what they mean. Now, you can watch it as a casual fan. You can watch it as the smartiest, 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 smart. It's, there really can be something for everyone in almost... In almost every match, it doesn't include Reese, and this was one of them. I just hope this isn't it for Finley now, really. It's that he came almost out of nowhere to win the TV title a few weeks ago. He's had some bloody great matches. Put uh, put Booker over strong here, and now he's dropped the TV title. I don't know where he's going to go. To build on a point I made in the notes, I, for one, I'm pretty sure that Booker was meant to win with a tombstone reversal, but uh, they, he couldn't get it up again. Probably... Exhaustion was playing its part there, but the improvised finish was fine with that stump pile driver to finish. No issues there. Yeah, keep Finley around, and I'm, I'm I'm really pleased for Booker. That's, but as you say, you're, you're right, Peter. All of this effort, all of these matches, just for the sake of the TV title. It's, I really want to see him elevated now. Okay, he's facing Brett next month. What have they done for the next three weeks? They put him in tags back with Harlem Heat, regressing at least a year. All of this effort for the TV title, make it mean something. But at least, ole, 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 ole. He's brought the TV, TV belt back from over there, as Rod Stewart would say. So, well done, Booker. <laughs> Plenty of World Cup references this month, folks. I'll tell you, 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 you need to listen to, you need to, listen to, you need to, listen to volume one. I'm myself and Chris and a poor old Eric there. We bamboozle the bloke throughout. Although he actually drops one himself and it's dead on. So please listen out for that. Uh, carrying on, US title, uh, Goldberg defending against Conan. And uh, not many notes for this one, I'm pleased to say. Uh, Goldie shoves Conan out of the ring right off the bell. After a chat with Rude and Kurt, we lock up. Bill tries his leg takedown thing, but he gets it completely wrong. I want to blame Conan there, but I don't think I can, unfortunately. Uh, K-Dog with some strikes to the back, but he runs right into the spear. Uh, Goldberg points at Hennig at ringside before delivering the jackhammer, and that is apparently 100 and 0. Uh, Rude and Hennig beat on Conan afterwards until the red and black run him off. We almost missed that Kurt is wearing the black and white instead, but again, who's really counting? 
Well, that was short and brief, and just how I like it on a Saturday morning. <laughs> just, just how I like it on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Billy. Well, yeah, what, 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 what can I say about this match? Uh, right. Well, it was it was very quick. It was uh, a good squash. Uh, Bill Goldberg, they've been doing a really good job, obviously, for like since September, I believe, uh, of him just having quick squash matches, wins, and... Uh, yeah, uh, it was, again, just to establish him more and more. The crowd was super hot into him here. Um, it was a bit odd at times. There seemed to be a big Goldberg chant going up, but not many people moving their mouths. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed it, but oh, it seems... They, yeah, they, they, are, they are clearly piping these chants in. They, are. <laughs> they don't yeah. need to. The guy is over. Let's make no mistake. People love seeing this guy destroy people. They don't need to over-enhance it. It's... Oh, don't don't kill yourself trying to get somebody over who is already over. They can't carry on. It's, it's very it's it's very comical at times as well. Uh, when uh, you've got the Goldberg chant, it's going up really really loud, and then it just suddenly stops, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's quite clear that that was piped in. Anyway, you know they're killing his coolness because some people will pick up on it eventually. Um, I really. Wasn't surprised with Heading going back to the NWO black and white. You know, he's not really much of a cool dad anyway. So why is he in the cool dad squad of NWO black and uh, red? Didn't really get it. Uh, I suppose that's pretty much it. They really want to watch their step with this Goldberg, Goldberg, Goldberg chant tape. Remember what happened to Millie Vanilli? Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I think the one point in the match they missed was when uh, Mr. Hennig obviously taking off his red t- red and black T-shirt to the white, which no one saw happen until we got to the, the walk with the rampway bit. He's suddenly with Rick Rude in the black and white T-shirt. So if the whole point of this match was to see the Hennig shock horror turn, they lost it and wasted it. We knew Goldberg was going to squash Conan. Conan's, you know, absolute... Dare I say it, Conan fodder. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be here again. Um, Bravo. Yeah, thank you. It was just uh, another classic Goldberg match, I suppose. The chanting's actually getting a bit annoying. So why are they piping in that when they've already got a natural reaction going on, which is far easier to listen to than this, you know, almost monotone Goldberg, Goldberg, which is, sounds like it's really dull. But actually, the crowd are losing their shit for this guy. This guy is, you know, dare I say it in a Rory term, taking over, isn't he? He's, this guy is is becoming, you know, number one. And he will be, he has to be in time, you know, this because they have to listen to the crowd and what's going on and the winning streak. Um, so classic Goldberg. It was a Nitro match. This wasn't a, a pay-per-view match. But the Hennig turn, who cares? Bloody hell. And Rick Rude. What's, I don't understand... What what this guy is still even doing out there? Well, what what's his role? Just to come out in a horribly brown suit and kick people and sort of give Hennig a little cuddle every now and then. Total waste. Glad he's back with uh, Hollywood and his cronies because, as, as Billy says, he certainly isn't cool enough to be in the uh, in the black and uh, sorry, the red and black, is he? I don't know what Rick Rude is getting from his insurance payout, but I'm sure most of it is going on trips to the tanning salon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, there's, there's nothing to say about this match. Uh, the fans liked it. I certainly did. Seeing Conan get swashed always brings a smile to my face. And I've kind of changed my opinion on Goldberg. I've said before that sooner or later he's going to have to start having proper matches. 
But then, if you get the reaction from him squashing people in one minute, and Conan is a, is a name guy, as much as it pays you to say it, then just keep doing it. He's the US champion. People like him. It looks like he's going to be doing something with Kevin Green at the pay-per-view, maybe. Just, just bring him in for the hot tag, spear jackhammer. People are going to go crazy. Why change it up? They still might need to, but for now, just go with what works. Nothing else to say about this match. But that's really the end of the fun, I'm afraid. But if you want to stay with us, you can. <laughs> Legends United versus Legends United, as it is announced. <laughs> for the first of our main events. I heard it called Jurassic Park, the tag team match. I'm on board with that one. Savage and Piper come to the ring separately, but of course Hogan and his BFF Brett make it to the, to the ring together. Thankfully, Buffer doesn't say that Hart is wearing black and purple this time. So then we better do this. It's Hogan and Brett against Savage and Piper. A lot of jaw jacking and stalling here before we finally kick off with Hogan and Roddy. Piper spits towards Brett, but now we're going to stall for just a little bit more. Piper calls a timeout because he really earned one, but it's really a distraction for him to throw some crazy old man punches. Hogan gets caught in the face corner and Savage is in. Quick tags between him and Piper is back with what Tony rather optimistically calls an atomic drop. Piper with a bite to the ear and some more strikes. Standing elbow by Savage and Hogan slowly falls off that. Gotta protect myself on the big bumps, brother. Disciple whacks Roddy with the belt and Patrick doesn't see it. The heart gets tagged in, which I'd like to think was a subtle dig by Mike Tanay there. <laughs> the Brett cuts off the Piper's tag attempt and there's the backbreaker. The standard heel, the double teaming, I'll stop now. Standard heel, double teaming goes on and there is Hulk with the shoulder rake of eternal hell. More basic stuff whilst Macho has the ref tied up and let's have ourselves the Russian leg sweep and the second rope elbow. Not a three count. Uh, the aforementioned dinosaurs are born and then die out in the time it takes Piper to execute an inside cradle, which Brett does reverse at the normal speed. Desperation tag to Savage, but the ref won't see the baby faces tag out this early. Oh no, we've got to do that spot. Randy gets a chair and as Brett goes to drop a headbutt to Piper's midriff, the chair happens to be exactly there. Who'd have thunk it? Hot tag and Macho is in with the usual. Brett holds Savage up for a Hogan clothesline and you know what happens there. Scoop slam to Hart and now the elbow is teased. But as Hogan whips Piper to the rope, he falls off and lands on his knee. Uh, Disciple and Hogan then see to Piper on the outside as Brett is able to slap on the sharpshooter for the easy submission win. Uh, my name is Rory McNamara and I want to claim back my 10 minutes, Peter. Oh, please don't come to me first. <laughs> um, <laughs> bloody hell. Um, moving where we were last month, I just said sort of Brett Hart and just the word sad repeatedly over and over again. I think things got a little bit sadder. I mean, if there's one guy who could have potentially dragged this match out from the Jurassic era into something, uh, <laughs> could have been Bret Hart. But sadly, I think there was there was so much going against him. I think he had to just join in, didn't he? I mean, when you think about it, Hogan, Bret Hart, Savage, Roddy Piper. If you were to sort of pick a, a dream match, and you know, this this could and should have been many years ago an absolute like, classic dream partner tag team match, couldn't it? This was just let's just go over the same old routines: the eye pokes, the punches. You know, Savage and his bloody knee is still winding me up because he should have won the match with the elbow, but when he lands with his elbow, suddenly his knee absolutely kills him. And then that leads to the sharpshooter, and he has to submit. 
again. So Savage yet again does the job in effect to Hogan via Bret Hart, which just is, I think Savage must be being paid so much money or coked up to his eyeballs. He hasn't got a clue what's going on right now. But um, I, I just... I just don't get it. I, I, I think the crowd probably there probably loved it because of who was out there. and But it's just all so tired. Uh, Bret Hart must be going home, sitting in his bed, counting his millions, but thinking, Jesus, what have I done? What am I doing here? And I know things maybe were moving on for him with, as you mentioned earlier, Booker T feud, which will help him in the ring massively. And we are going to talk about a Benoit match later on, which is much more like Bret Hart. But he needs to get away from from this lot because Jesus, it is dragging him down to, to to new depths. And I can't say much more. At least it was a clean win. I mean, that was surprising. I thought there'd be some sort of shenanigans with the belt, or the disciple runs in, or the NWO completely invades the ring, or I don't, God only knows. But at least it was a clean win, and Bret got the sharp shear on and got the win. There's a positive. Over to you, Billy. I'll do it for you. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, <laughs> what do you say about this match? Uh, it was dreadful. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, it was kept short. It was like under 11 minutes. Um, thank God for that, because if it had gone 20, I think I would have fallen asleep and never woken back up again. Uh, <laughs> I think we make a good point that if this was... Uh, books like five years ago this would have been a tremendous match to watch because you know of the names involved but because unfortunately this is 1998 and all of these guys have gotten on a little bit and probably yes do belong in Jurassic Park uh it really wasn't very good um if you were to watch this pay-per-view please don't watch this match because you're going to want to burn your eyes out afterwards it, it was terrible and uh, again, great point made by Peter. It's very sad seeing Bret Hart like completely unmotivated to be in this match and just sitting at home counting his millions. It's a shame. I mean, you've got you've got Bret Hart having to he had he had the time to count all of his millions in the time it took Roddy Piper <laughs> to get him down for an inside cradle. <laughs> Roll on. Piper is cooked, baked, finished. Any novelty value he had when he came in in 96 has now completely dissipated. If you want to keep Piper on as the on-screen commissioner, all right, but I don't want to see him in the ring ever again. Savage hasn't been fully fit for three years. Hogan is the better one of this podcast, and with good reason. And we we'll won't play. We we'll won't talk. Play. <laughs> we'll play. I'm beginning to think those chants might have some credence to them now. And poor old, poor old Brett, his number blue now be, oh, we will talk about it in a short while. This match was horrifyingly awful in every way. There was no story. It was technically bad. Nobody even tried to give a good performance. The crowd didn't care. Now, Ed Leslie wasn't 3,000 miles away from it. Everything you could not hope to see in a professional wrestling match you got in one neat little 10-minute package. But we are not even done with this yet. Piper tries to help up Savage, but Randy knocks him down with a clothesline. So I suppose this must be the Piper versus Savage match. Now, to try to fill in the gaps on this one. Last month at Slambury, Brett beat Savage when Piper was the guest ref when, I believe it was, Piper missed interference or something. Now, the next day on Nitro, 
Piper actually reversed the decision and gave it to Savage. But for whatever reason, that wasn't enough for Macho, and he's been needling Piper all the way. So they agreed to this to team up against Bretton Hogan as long as they could beat each other up afterwards. And I just don't get what this feud's actually about, but we'll talk about that in a second. Again, this one was brief, one and a half minutes, and here we are. Savage is able to climb to the ropes again for the elbow, but the bad knees prevents a cover. After a wait, we get a two, and then Macho decks Charles Robinson, who takes the bump of the night. Which he, he sells it like he's doing a Fosbury flop. <laughs> Pipe up with some jabs to the leg and a figure of four, and then Mickey J bounces down to call this one to a halt. Here's Tony Schiavone on commentary. This was brutal. It's the way he said it. Billy. <laughs> yeah, Tony summarised up the match brilliantly. Um, obviously, both men were like so blown up that like the first few rows were all passing out with lack of oxygen around them, which was, uh, you know, it, and it was just a shame, really, to see Savage and Piper, two icons, let's face it, um, having <laughs> a dreadful two-minute match. Um yeah, it was, thankfully, it was really short. That's all I can really say about it. Peter? Oh, deep in, take a breath. Um, Savage. I don't know. What has he done? Is, is, he, is he really pissed somebody off in the back? Because on, on, in this... Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, let me think. By, by dint of existing, he pisses somebody off in the back. Well, he must do. <laughs> have to submit twice in the space of three minutes. It's just, really? What's going on? Um, I, I, I can't add any more. I, I don't want to add any more. I've, I've given up. We're almost done. Come, come on, guys. We can do it. You know, come on. Half-time huddle. Come on. We can do this. Um, we need some oranges. <laughs> well done, Charles Robinson, for that mega bump. You know, when a, a non-worker can bump more than these two can, it, it says everything you need to know. This has been a really confusing feud. People don't want to see them fight. Technically speaking, WCW versus Wolfpack anyway, but they're still both baby faces. No, it, it was horrifying. It didn't need to happen. And I don't think, even in kayfabe, I don't think it really proved anything. But Piper's a good guy, and he beats on an injured savage, a fellow good guy for the win. They just haven't thought this through. But, uh, it was only two minutes long. You know, I've already wiped it from my brain very, very easily. Uh, the main event is on its way of this pay-per-view. Uh, the, ever the picture of health, the giant strolls down to the ring with a cigarette in his mouth. <laughs> Buffer actually nails the stupidity of this storyline when he says that the lone wolf has joined a wolf pack. Does anybody not think about any of this fucking stuff? All right, then. So it's giant versus thing in which the winner claims both tag team belts because, of course, they do. Sting with a slap after giant blows smoke in his face, but the big man misses a charge in the corner. Early Stinger splash hits, but the second sees him hold back across the ring by a boot. Uh, open hand smacks do nothing, but Sting just bounces off Giants after a crossbody attempt. Elbow drop and then a big press slam, which is Sting land on the buckle neck first. You've got some good hang time there, I've got to say. Sting sells death as it's fair hug time. Sting rallies and fights out with punches and then a diving knee. Two more Stinger splashes and a body slam. A nice callback to five years ago from Bobby on commentary when he says that wasn't a hip lock. I wonder how many people got that. The geek in, uh, geeky me did. He can't get a scorpion on the big guy though, but a death drop does hit. No instant cover and it's a two count. Choke slam is blocked and another, de another death drop also only gets near four. Giant misses a charge again and this time Sting can put on a death drop with the help of the buckles. And now he secures a three count. 
a decent pop, but it dies quickly because this is still only for the tag team belts. And of course, we have to wait for tomorrow to see who Sting chooses as his partner. Uh, even the commentary team are in a hurry to shut this one off. And we are done. Peter, we got there, but not before you analyze this match. <laughs> um, I think it was about six minutes. Yeah, six minutes. Like just that, Which I'm really pleased because I don't think the Giant could go anymore without probably having a half to tackle, pulling some sort of muscle somewhere. And, of course, and, and smoking on his way to the ring will really help. It's not helping that. His cardio and his anaerobics not working very well for him at all there, is it? But um, again, you look at the Giant. I mean, what, this was a, a world title match two years ago, something like that, I think, in a, on a pay-per-view, when clearly these two are far more infused with their careers and their, uh, their physiques and their, uh, their standing in the company. So to have a, a main event as a single match for the tag team title, it says it all about WCW in 1998, doesn't it, really? It's just... just there we go. Uh, match itself, not much wrestling, which wasn't a big surprise. It probably played to the strengths of the Giant. I don't think he looked that dominant considering how big that guy is. And Stinger's not huge, but Stinger looked fairly dominant. And I quite like the fact that you do one death drop, didn't quite get the pin. Try another one, didn't get the pin. Ah, top rope, we'll do it that way. Then we'll get the pins. That made a bit of sense that it got progressively, you know, more and more attempts and also a slightly powerful version got the, the pin. Um, still think it seems weird that the giant jobs to search to people so much smaller than him quite a lot. Seeing as he's, what, number two in NWO Black and White, probably? Yeah. Maybe behind the Disciple, because obviously he's uh, Hogan's best friend. Wink, wink. Of course. <laughs> um, of course. We'll leave that there. Um, but yeah, and again, <laughs> why, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but why not have what you know? Now we're waiting to watch Nitro to see who Sting chooses as his partner. You know, why can't we have the blow off on the pay per view and have this this whole thing has now been sorted out? Thank God, we've got a clean win. We now know what's going to happen. We have to wait, don't we, till the next show, and then the show just ends. So it was a bit of a weird, weird way of building up a Nitro again when people have paid their $30, $40, $50 to watch a tag team title single match main event. I'll leave it there. Billy. All right. Okay. Uh, oh, I really hate what uh, WCW have done with their tag team titles. Um, you, you look at the division like two years ago, it was so deep and there were so many good tag teams. Okay. You know, you split some of them up and... Some guys have gone on to do other things. Okay, so you're finding it difficult to, to to find a team that can carry the goal. So they decided to come up with this convoluted storyline, which was probably written by a child with a crayon, <laughs> <laughs> to get these to do this this match. And um, really, this main event was it was it was dreadful. <laughs> what, what else can I say? It was. It was perfectly fine in in the ring. The crowd was like there, but the convoluted storyline just took me out of it. I just didn't care for it. And uh, oh, Big Smokey just doesn't seem to be uh, motivated in any way whatsoever. I don't know what that says about him and where he's going forward. And for it, the payoff to the pay-per-view is to tune into Nitro tomorrow night to see who's going to be declared Sting's partner and the tag team champion. I thought it was all very stupid that people have paid to see this. And that's something they've really got to watch. 
I'll build on that in a second. This match, I called it the third of three duds earlier. In all fairness, it was probably just above that level. Sting, in as much as he can these days, was trying in there. The giant, it's like totally unmotivated. And Billy, you're going to want to stretch me for saying this, but dare I say the final two minutes almost had a sort of all Japan feel in that. Sting <laughs> was trying. Bear, bear with me. No, don't, don't. Okay, no. yeah, all right. I'm, I'm trying. Don't lock me in an STF just yet. Come on, hear me out. Hear me out. In that okay, Sting, in that Sting would constantly go for his, for his big finishing move. It didn't get the win. And then he eventually thought he went for his super duper special and managed to get it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Okay. okay. All right. That, no, that's fine. That's a perfectly acceptable argument. I, I won't I, be jumping down the phone to stretch you or in any sign whatsoever. I, I, I escape with my arms being where they should be. Okay, that's great. Yeah, that, 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 but that, that particular mini story was all there was to the match. But they carried it off and carried it off well. But yeah, the crowd didn't care because it was just for the tag team belts. And they're really not important these days. I mean, we've said on the show this year many times, we've almost forgotten who the champions are at many given times. And they didn't even mention it until the next Nitro. And when they did, I might as well bring this up here now. It rendered this completely moot. They had a segment the day after this. Sting was wondering who his partner was going to be, like it was an episode of Blind Date or something. Oh, am I going to choose Lex Luger? Am I going to choose Kevin Nash? Am I going to choose Conan? And in the end, it's number two, Kevin from Detroit. <laughs> and then, and that just ended that, that, about 45 minutes later, my partner for this match, Kevin Nash. And that was it. Right, all that build up. And then two weeks later, he just teams up with Luger, which is as if nothing had happened. I mean, uh, to, to keep this reference going, what a Laura Laura crap that was. They wish you'd chosen, chosen the Dingo Warrior. <laughs> well, that, that, that could be coming. He's, he's... That would have been an absolute amazing. Uh... All I will say is that there was talk about him making his uh, WCW debut on the Nitro before this pay per view. Yeah. Makes you, makes you wonder. Mm. Uh, just as, as if we didn't need enough chills in the last 30 minutes what we've been discussing here. I think I think that oh. don't you it's a very appropriate point to uh draw ten thousand lines under our Great American Bash nine ninety-eight review and uh, never speak of it again until we have marked out of ten. Uh Billy, your thoughts and score first. God, uh what what to say about this show? Um I, I say this about pretty much every WCW show. Um from 96 to, to, to now, but um, great undercard, great uh, mid-card, uh, terrible main event. So I think I'm going to be nice here and give it a 7 out of 10. Peter? I thoroughly enjoyed talking about this show for the last uh, hour and a bit, wherever it's been. Um, again, the same with Billy. I think it's it's almost like copy and paste, isn't it? The, the undercard are working their arse off. They're really trying to get themselves over... The crowd, unfortunately, didn't care for a lot of that. But who cares about the crowd? We're watching it, obviously, standalone. Um, and then you get to the main event, and it just all falls off a cliff, which is a real shame. Uh, but I think there was enough good on here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with Billy. I'm going to go seven as well. I think it, I gave Slamboree a six last month. So I've got to give this a seven. It was a bit better. But the main events just are dragging these shows down, sadly. Yeah, I'm, consensus across the board, I'm going seven two. I've got to go fairly high on this one. Because I think that's the only way you can really give the, really give credit, considering how bad the main events were, to so many of the undercard guys, to the likes of Booker and Canyon and Chavo and Finley, even Benoit and Hoovy. 
working their absolute tails off to try to get something good for us, the paying public. It's almost as if they knew that when those guys were done, uh, the train wreck was about to kick into gear, and boy, did it ever. And I do not want to take away from how atrocious the final three matches were. This pay-per-view was on mark for something really quite special and, and, and had it carried on. But as I've said before on these shows, WCW pay-per-views, you know what's coming and you do temper your expectations accordingly. But a really good undercard, but I would have no problem with anybody when, when they watch this event, pressing stop after, watch the Goldberg Conan squash, that's fine, press stop after that. But anyway, you can't really hate a show, which has certainly brought us much entertainment, talking about it over the last hour. And has seen us drop references to James Alexander Gordon, Millie Vanilli, and Silla Black. So, with all that in mind, Great American Bash 1998 has to be, all across the board, a 7 out of 10. Cold open at Nassau Coliseum on the 15th, and we launch straight into Public Enemy against the Barbarian and Hugh Morris. As for usual stuff here, with added barbecue tongs this time, Tony helpfully tells us that somebody gets counted down. Gene in that is the macho. He tells us that the Red and Black are a team, but a team of individuals. He lays down the litmus test for Paige. A cage match. If DDP wins, he can have all the Red and Black he wants. Benoit vs Finley is up. This one is non-title of course, but there's plenty of goodness. The tombstone is reversed into a crossface for the hard-fought win. The Crippler calls out Booker to face him man to man. He does, and he raises and shakes his hands. He offers to watch Booker's back, but Stevie Ray takes exception to that, and he calls Benoit a pipsqueak. He goes on to attack him, until Mongo makes the save. And then, up go the fingers. Page retorts to Savage. It's not about the red and black, it's about proving himself. And after that, he is coming after Hollywood scum Hogan. Oh, and Rodman. With a partner who will help him, Deliver the bang. Whoever can he mean. The rowdy one is here for an interview. Yes, I've said that so many times recently. His life is the new world disorder and his colours are black and blue. He will referee the cage match tonight. What do you say? Our next match pits Chono and Tanzan against high dosage. Sorry, high voltage. High voltage. Easy mistake to make. Uh, there's a few doings are transpiring in the bleachers, which distracts the crowd here, which happened a lot at the pay-per-view as well. A mafia kick, and about four people care. The Wolfpack are out now. Nash says that the last person to join the Red and Black was the first to win gold. And that's ironic. No, it isn't, Alanis. Sting runs through the credentials of the pack, but he still hasn't chosen his partner. No messing here as Canyon and Sick Boy start out fast, and it ends the same way via a flatliner. Rude and Hernig tell us they joined for black and white because they go where the big cash flow. Sooner or later, they will make Goldberg taste defeat for the first time. Rick, I will never swerve you. Cue awkward pause. JJ has the cruiserweight belt in his hand. <laughs> now that would be a swerve. As there was no actual champion going in last night, and Jericho won, albeit by DQ, he is now the champ. Chris celebrates in his own inimitable style. And just like yesterday, Dino attacks him, and pans them all around the arena. Jericho flags down a car and makes a sharp getaway. The giant waits out his cigarette break before chokeslamming Chris Adams for a foot on the chest pin. On the seventh day, God created Hollywood. If Paige has a problem with Hogan and Rodman, then I triple dog dare you to do something about it at Bash at the Beach. 
Okay then, Sting. Here's the big one. Who's your partner? He's big sexy, Kevin Nash. Yep, that's it. That's the resolution to the pay-per-view cliffhanger, folks. <sighs> they defend the belt against Harlem Heat. The match is given some time and it's pretty good until Death Drop wins it on an overconfident Stevie. Bischoff conducts a sit-down interview with Big Papa Pump. They're actually trying to get him over as a movie star. He talks about hanging out with the Thesbians of LA. Pointless. Main event time in a very poorly constructed cage. Savage injures his knee, hitting the elbow. Yep, that's novel. Uh, he recovers and pile drives Piper. Now there's no referee, of course, so a diamond cutter doesn't get a three. Piper eventually comes to and goes after Paige, and then they all just rock with each other. The cage goes up, and then Team Hollywood come in and beat on everybody else. This carries on for a while until the red and black attempt to get in. They can't until Nash decides that you can just raise the cage by pressing a button. Blech. Look at this! Shaking his hand and raising it! I didn't expect that! In all due respect. How about that, Booker T? It's the best thing in the world. I got more respect for Benoit than I got for any man in this business, and I can't say you're the best man I've ever been in the ring with, Benoit. Booker T, you are, without a doubt, the toughest opponent I've ever faced in my career. You are, without a doubt, one of the wrestlers that I've got the most respect for. Booker T, you ever need anyone to back you up? You ever need anyone to- Hey, 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 whoa, wait, wait a minute, boy. Wait a minute. Hey, man, he got a partner. You're looking at his partner right here. And you'll know that tonight, because we've been eight-time tag team champions. And tonight, you're going to see Booker T and Stevie Ray do it all over again. Booker T, you ever need a good man in your corner? Hold on, excuse me. You ever need a good man in your corner, Booker T? I'm there for you. Look, man, I just told you he got a partner. And tonight, we got a match. We don't need you coming out here, you know, your pip squeak. You wouldn't have never lasted 10 seconds with him if he had to deal with what I told him to do. But tonight, he got a partner. I think he said if you ever needed a good man for a partner here, I didn't mean to have him. Excuse me. Maybe you misunderstood what I said. You ever need a man in your corner that you can count on and rely on through thick and thin? I'm there for you. Well, apparently. You, hey, hey! Come on, get out of here! Oh, what's that all about? What's that all about is Stevie Ray goes berserk on Benoit. Booker T tries to pull him off. He pushed away, but obviously frustrated. But That's Mongo. Mongo lives. Steve McMichael. Steve McMichael out to help the tripler and Booker T holding Stevie Ray back. We haven't seen Mongo for months. The former All-Pro out of literally nowhere comes in. I'm going to get the way to do it. I'm going to get the way to do it. You're talking about emotions spilling everywhere here. We've got it here on Nitro. And the fans are standing there into this one as, as Mongo buzzes the ear of Chris Benoit. And I tell you, passions, emotions running very, very deep. I think it's great to see Mongo back out here.
Well, it was a mutual admiration society between Chris Benoit and Booker T. That didn't last long in terms of Stevie Ray getting right I'm into this physical mix. Benoit's got the mic. I'm here for NWO Red. I'm not here for NWO White. What I'm here for. Oh, my. What does that tell you? It's one of the symbols that says it all. On to the 22nd of June now, and Paige is jacked in Jacksonville. It's confirmed that at Bash at the Beach we're going to get DDP and Carmelone versus Hogan and Rodman. Hollywood scum Hogan isn't really catching on, but never mind. Uh, Hulk doesn't want it bad anymore, but DDP does. At the Bash, Rogan and Hodman are going out with a... Three guesses. Lynn Denton and his gut kick us off. That's quite the handicap for Disco Inferno, but he manages to beat them both with a pile driver. Kevin Green is back. Suddenly the world seems a much better place. Even when he drops football references which fly over my head like a Hail Mary play. He gets distracted by Rude and Hennig and then the giant attacks him. He manages to recover and then blots his copybook a bit by calling giant Fat Boy. He wants to fight some more and after a break we see them still going at it in the back. To placate the situation, JJ makes Green vs Giant for tonight. Tokyo Magnum vs Yuji Nagata is next. That sound you hear is Dave Meltzer repeatedly pressing the shift and eight buttons on his keyboard. The Nagata lock wins, and then we get a brawl between Public Enemy and Sick Boy and Horace. Brett comes out to the NWO music, and it just seems wrong on every level. He takes us back a year by saying that heroes don't really exist, and now Canada has to fight Canada, as he's facing Benoit tonight. Goldberg vs Rick Fuller. Now the red and black arrive. Nash is late to the South Park references, and a doll gets introduced into the ring. Uh, don't ask. Still a better promo than Sting, though. That guy really does think he's cool. Uh, Alex Wright versus Eddie. The director points out a sign in the crowd which actually reads, Eddie Guerrero is my favourite migrant worker. Ugh. The match is good until Chavo gets the mic, and that's enough to distract Eddie, allowing Alex to hit a neckbreaker for the win. Conan beats Riggs with a tequila sunrise. And we're into Planet Hollywood for the main event press conference for next month. Nobody really says anything, apart from Malone dubbing Hogan a sissy. Stevie Ray versus Mongo. Hide the cyanide. Benoit saves this by going over Stevie. Booker comes out to keep the peace, and a Mongo wins by countout. Time for the black and white. Nothing really doing there, apart from calling Malone a loser. So it is Benoit v Brett on free TV. The match is good, but it didn't have to happen now. And not like this. Stevie distracts the ref and then Brett hits Chris with a foreign object. He then rolls Benoit on top for a two count, and then kicks out, and then puts the sharpshooter on the unconscious Crippler. Now say that back 100 times. Uh, Green v Giant is the main event. It doesn't last long because he's obviously nowhere near ring shape, and he looks very rusty. And Kevin Green isn't quite back up to it yet either. <laughs> NWO jobbers come down to attack Kev until Goldberg rocks up. He destroys the B team. And in green shows he's really getting the hang of this by challenging Hennig and Giant to a tag match with him and Bill at the pay-per-view. We open the last Nitro of the month with a shot of an 18-wheeler. It's on its way to the arena here in Tampa. I wonder how long it will take. Gene is here and he talks to Kevin Green. He puts Goldberg over as the best wrestler to come through here for 30 years. Okay, easy now, Kev. 
the tag match at the pay-per-view is now official. Horace vs Canyon kicks us off. Canyon wins with the flatliner. Raven then gives him shit for walking alone and then the flock beat him to a pop. We see the black and white devising ways to destroy the truck. Brett can't hide his hatred of any of this nonsense. Gene talks to Stevie Ray. He again calls Benoit a pipsqueak and he wants a tag match with the Crippler and Mongo tonight. His brother will go along with it. Eddie is against Little Dragon. Charbo comes down to the ring on a hobby horse. Okay. Uh, Eddie gets rolled up for the destruction win yet again. In the back, Jericho talks to Ultimo Dragon to G him up, with the promise of a title shot if he can beat Malenko later. The Giant mows through a couple of jobbers, and then the black and white call out Kev and Bill. They get them, and the NFL crew see them off with ease. Hogan and Bischoff, yuck, yuck, yuck. Hollywood talks about his past as somebody who would beat up truck drivers. Hogan, with a chain around his neck, bear in mind, then says he will make Carl Malone shine his shoes. No words. No words. Here's a curious one. Sting and Luger versus Bulldog and Anvil. The death drop ends it on Davy, who looked terrible here. Saturn Reese is nothing apart from Saturn managing to hit the DVD on him, which is very impressive. The flock of the flock, and then Raven officially ends his friendship with the even flow. Newcomer El Vampiro, who looks a lot like corn singer Jonathan Davis to me, is against Brad Armstrong. He wins with a move called Nail in the Coffin. Magnum and Nabanunga face the dancing duo of Disco and Wright. Good match here. Al gets the win, but it's Disco Fever that plays. Ultimo Dragon Vimalenko is next, and of course it's very, very good. Jericho comes out and says, Tampa, isn't this the place where your father is buried? Dean chases after him, and Dragon wins by countout. We see footage from Thunder of Benoit asking Arn to join him. Arn seems reluctant, and then spots the camera. Harlem Heat are the opponents for Benoit and Mongo. Brett trots down and hits Booker with a chair, allowing McMichael to get the cheap win. A backstage Dean finds Jericho and Dragon and beats them both up. Bischoff hosts a Jay Lerner-esque talk show segment in which he grills Scott Siner. It's a complete puff piece in the vein of those, and now the latest from the England camp pieces you get on BBC and ITV during the World Cup. Next week we meet the co-star of Scott's new project, and I can hardly wait. Lucky, lucky Georgia Dome. Gene brings out Booker. He challenges the sissy punk Bret Hart. Stevie doesn't seem sure, but here's Bret to accept, and the match will take place at the bash. Glacier gets the buffer treatment. Are you happy now, Del? And he's now facing Goldberg. That's Glacier. The match goes a little longer than you might expect, but the result cannot have been in doubt. Hogan and Bischoff storm to the ring, just in time for the 18-wheeler to arrive. The NWO run away from the parking lot, and then with chairs in hand, our heroes come to the ring. Somehow Hogan and Bischoff don't see them. They smack chairs as a welcome greeting, and then Bischoff gets dumped. Malone then stares down Hogan, and actually hits him with a clothesline and a body slam. Page then takes the mic, and issues an open challenge to Rodman for next week. Okay, a couple of TV reports for you there. We've got a, one or two things to discuss before we finish for the month. On the fourth Nitro, we had the very first meeting between... Bret Hart and Chris Benoit. Yes, they threw it away on free TV. There has, to give them a modicum of credit, been a mild build to this one. Apparently, Bret has wanted to try to get Benoit to join the NWO. Apparently, that one has only really happened on Thunder. So, the four people who watched it on Thunder, please write in and confirm if I'm right. 
I believe one, one of, I believe one of the things which happened was Brett was sat on the front of a car with Eric Bischoff, waving an NWO shirt in Benoit's face, and that constitutes build in World Championship Wrestling world. The match we won't give it the pay per view style breakdown because I'm hoping in the future we'll get a real chance to do that. Match itself was really really good. I think Brett's or easily Brett's best since he's joined. But Peter, Brett's been here six seven months now. And he is now settled into his role as maybe one up from being Hogan's out-and-out lackey, but he is still completely in his shadow. He's there in Hogan's segments, clearly betraying the fact that he doesn't want to be there. When he gets some chances on the mic, he does perfectly acceptable heel work. Uh, Despite the callback to Canadian heroes, in the build-up to this match. It's all really flat base level batting at 500 stuff. So, Peter, I'm going to ask this now. This might be over-exaggerating, but based on what we've seen, I don't think it is. Is Brett Don as any sort of force in World Championship Wrestling? I think he, as it stands right now, yes. But maybe this match could be a turning point. Because as you say, for the last six months... It's just been a, a, a hanger on, a, a behind the scenes guy. You know, he's not worn NWO t shirts. He's never had that uh, bestowed upon him. So you've always, I'm always kind of thinking, is there going to be some turn against Hogan? And there was that missed clothesline in that in the tag team match. You know, that suggested there could be, you know, some unrest, but that never really materialised yet. Um, I think this match should hopefully go a long way to. This is the reason why you signed Bret Hart. Okay, you signed him away from your nearest rivals to hopefully you know hinder them and take away one of their top stars. You know, at that point, was obviously very disgruntled at what was going on. We've obviously been there last year. Won't go back into that again. So maybe he is, but maybe this could be the turning point. And we mentioned before, there's a Booker T series upcoming, and Booker T is one of the best talents at the moment in ring as well. Brett clearly still has that in-ring talent. I mean, I mentioned in the uh, pay-per-view review that if there's one guy who could have dragged it somewhere, it could have been Brett, but he was weighed down with so much he couldn't, obviously. I don't think you could see against Benoit in in, in this particular match. You know, to be fair, Benoit lost again, so he continues his his streak. And there was no... The build-up was pretty poor. This should be a pay-per-view match somewhere down the line again. There is hope, though. I have, I have hope. Um, and I'm sure Bret Hart in the back is saying, look, let me go out there and wrestle. Let me go out there and, dare I say it, tell these stories that he likes to tell in the ring and do these matches because that's what Bret Hart is. He's not to stand behind Hulk Hogan looking smug and interfering matches. And, you know, okay, he did a bit of his heel work when he was in WWF. But, you know, Bret is a, 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 a classic, you know, ring technician Allah Benoit, you know, let him go out there. I mean, you know, Brett against Fit Finley, Booker T, you know, these guys would be awesome matches to watch on, let's say mid-card maybe, or even upper mid-card, or for a United States title at this time, whatever it may be. Could Brett get a great match out of Bill Goldberg? There's a challenge for you. So, yes, for the first six months, I'm just hoping this could be a turning point, you know, and I could be egg on my face when we sit down again next month, potentially, but uh, my fingers are crossed. Ever the optimist, Peter Kimber. Absolutely. Billy, any rays of sunshine? 
Well, well, well obviously, uh, Brett's probably formed some sort of relationship with Bischoff at this point, and uh, maybe he is listening to him about maybe putting himself into some serious matches. Uh, I'm very optimistic for Brett going forward in WCW. Um, I think Peter brought up a brilliant point of him possibly getting a good match out of Bill Goldberg in a series. Uh, I'll really be behind that. Um, If Brett was to... Okay, he's not going to be on Hulk Hogan's level. He's not going to be in the main event. Then, you know, maybe put Brett in the semi-mains with some of the undercard, mid-card guys, like the Malinkos, the Jerichos, uh, the Bookers of this world. I think that would be a good use for him because he could, uh, you know raise them up to his level. Okay, his level isn't as high as the main eventers, but it would be a good progression and the next stop for them going forward. Uh, I I can confirm that they did obviously set up this match uh, on Thunder because I am one of those four people that watch Thunder. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was basically just a uh, put the T-shirt up and distract Booker T and Benoit refused to join the NWO and win the match like that. The match itself was really, really good. Um, it was what you would expect Benoit and Bret Hart are two of possibly the greatest workers in the US scene at this present moment in time, aren't they? Really, from an in-ring standpoint, okay, they haven't got the best characters in the world, but from an in-ring point of view, they're, they're two of the best. Which is which the point I'm making, really. When you think about it, You've got, you've got Bret Hart there, okay, and he's wrestling Chris Benoit on free TV. Yes, it should have been on pay per view, and yes, it should have had a build, okay, one hundred percent. But the match itself, which was excellent, that for me is where Bret Hart still should be in his six months with the company. It should be a heel, absolutely not. He should still be a face right now, but that is where he should be, having quality matches with the quality opponents on WCW's roster. You just look at the list of names there, and you think, yep. Look at all the snowflakes Brett could have against these these great, great, great workers. Fantasy booking, it's not going to happen now. I'd almost have him finish up. I would have had him finish up with Benoit maybe at the next pay-per-view. And then you can start saying, look at all the people I've beaten. He's given us eight months of great work, great matches on pay-per-view. And now he's coming for Hogan's belt. But that ship has long since sailed. You've just got to look at Brett in any of the segments. There was one on the second or third night show of the month, which was basically just a complete purfest for Hogan and Bischoff and Rodman. They're just surrounded by a lot of lovely ladies. Rodman just basically trying to shag one of them on the fucking settee. And you get get Bischoff macking off with Liz because, you know, who writes the checks around here? And, And there's Brett just trying to look like he's infused, but you just think, oh, my God. What have I done? Why can't I just be the hero in the pink and black, giving people their sunglasses and slapping hands again, making people smile on a Saturday morning? Why did I give that up for this? And it's too late. It's too, okay. It is far too late for him to be facing Hogan at Starcade. They're not going to be up. I don't. I don't buy that they're really teasing any tension between Hogan and Brett. If they are, it's not going to be important enough for Terry to think. Yeah, he's at my level for a title shot, brother. That's not going to happen. It's, 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 I've got, assuming Hogan keeps the belt all year, which I'm pretty certain he will, I have no idea who he's going to face at Starcade. I mean, Warrior, maybe. There's a thought to leave hanging, so I'll better make something else up very quickly. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I really, I do feel sorry for Brett. And so, sometimes I do feel like, and I'm glad you boys have bailed me out here. I feel like I'm the only Brett Hart fan left on the podcast. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not alone in this one. Yeah, he, he can still go when he's motivated. The Brett Hart of 1998 isn't quite the Brett Hart of 1993. But it's really not that big a drop. And he gave us gave us all in that match against against Chris Benoit. Uh, worked like a Trojan for 13 minutes. He was throwing everything behind his moves. The psychology was on point. It was a tremendous quality TV match. And we know they could do better if they get the chance. Yeah, I just feel that he's kind of where, maybe just slightly above where Steve Austin was in late 94 into 95. He's a mechanic. He's there to get good matches out of people and no more. That's probably why he's in there with Booker at the next pay-per-view. But as we've been saying earlier, I don't think Booker really needs any quote-unquote seasoning matches now. He's already there as a worker as far as I'm concerned. So even that seems superfluous. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be saying this until something changes. You've got Bret Hart. Let him be Bret Hart. Although I fear the ship has sailed. I'm glad they didn't show because if they would have showed up, my boys in the back, that's right, they would have taken them out. And they... Well, hello there. The mailman is in the building. Rain, sleet, or snow, he made it. There was no backup for Hogan. NWO black and white members scattered. He pushed Bishop into page. And, and now... Hogan's trapped. Hogan's trapped. He said he wanted the first shot at Malone. You Take it, it, Hogan. You got it. Tom Malone almost begging him to take the first shot. Where's Rodman? What a moment this is. And would you look at the face of Hollywood Hogan? What a bash at the beach. He's trying to escape and he can't get out. Now that 18-wheeler literally ran the remainder of the black and white off. Forget about shaking hands. Wow. Hogan trying to escape, nowhere to hide. Look at the big reach of the mailman. Look at those paws on it. Oh, Hogan's going to go for it. Come along. Bring it on, Hollywood. You're not kidding. Let's do it. Now Hogan said they're going to break in half. They're going to hook it up. Malone's got him. Look at this. Our final talking point of the month involving a big fat truck. Yes, there you go. Which they tease relentlessly throughout the three hours. The 18-wheeler is on its way. The 18-wheeler is on its way. The 18-wheeler is on its way. And it turned up just before the end of the show. What are the chances? I feel like I should explain what's going on here. Apparently, Diamond Dallas Page and his pal, Utah Jazz player, Carl Malone, have an 18-wheeler and they wanted to turn up to the arena in it. 
I don't believe there's any more really to the story than that. So Wyatt quite deserved all the pimping and the aerial shots. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, Hogan and crew uh, throughout the show, they were seen with chains and ball bats to try to quell the 18-wheeler. Because, of course, if an 18-wheeler is traveling towards you, throwing a chain at it will save you from being squashed. Of course it will be. I feel like I should, I feel like I should say... I've got, I've, You'd have heard me mention this with disdain in the TV report, but I have to mention this now. In one of Hogan's promos on Malone, with a chain around his neck as well, that symbolism actually said that he is going to make Carl Malone shine his shoes. I mean, really? Nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. He's taking classy, Terry. He's yeah, that, it's, it's for training the it's for training and it's the vitamins and it's the it's the prayers, brother. And I'll tell you what, after that, he better say his fucking prayers. Anyway, um, that was horrible. But we eventually get to the segment where Malone and Page burst out of the 18 wheeler, the NWO run away, they storm down to the ring while Hogan and Bischoff are doing their stuff. Amazingly, Hogan and Bischoff don't see them until they slap chairs together. Bischoff gets thrown out of the ring, and Hogan takes a slam and a clothesline from Carl Malone. He looked perfectly adept in doing so. And then they cut a nice little promo to end the match, uh, end the segment and the show. Uh, Billy, I'll come to you quickly on this one first. There's not a whole lot to discuss here, but I just wanted to bring this up because uh, how do you think they've used Carl Malone, who is obviously a big celebrity, who they've made a big deal of? Uh, they had a big press conference, appeared on Jay Leno, all that sort of thing. So how do you think they've used Carl Malone? And where does DDP really fit into all of this? What do you think? Oh, well, Carl Malone, obviously... A big uh, name in the basketball world, and he's there with Dennis Rodman. And it, it seems to me, I don't really know how to explain this one. Cole Malone seems to be happy to be there, which is the main thing. He's not phoning it in like Dennis Rodman, or isn't showing up in no condition to perform, which is is a good thing, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> it's the main thing for him uh, going forward. Uh, I think they've been using him perfectly well, really. Um, isn't really. I can't really... Uh, because he's obviously very popular and over, I think that's a good thing. That uh, they're trying to use his celebrity, and it seems to be working. And um, obviously some of his star is rubbing off on DDP, which is the main thing, and I'm sure that's what they want. As for DDP going forward... Is this just leading to a DDP obviously pinning? Well, uh, I was going to say pinning Hogan at the pay per view in the tag team match, but that's definitely uh, not going to happen. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's definitely not going to happen. So, yeah, maybe they do some sort of angle at the uh, pay per view with uh, Hogan and DDP, and it leads to a, a Hogan DDP match at. Uh, Halloween Havoc, maybe. Yep, yep. Uh, I can't really uh, say anything else about it, really. I, I think they've just done a, a, a pretty good job with Cole Malone so far. Your thoughts, Peter? Yeah, I did think the, um, the show-long angle of this massive truck arriving was was hilarious to, to witness as you're watching it. And then you see the black and white Hollywood clan all chained up and bully clubbed up, waiting for them to get out of the of the lorry. And then when it arrives, they just ran away. So I just didn't understand that you wait for them to get out, and then you attack them with chains, don't you? You don't then because this big lorry's turned up, they then sharper, <laughs> just disappear. And then Hogan and Bischoff are 
uh, uh, boring everybody to tears in the ring. And they miss the two big superstars, as it were, and the crowd go mental behind them. They miss a chance to crack them over the back of their head with two chairs by making that chair noise behind them, which is a bit of a shame as well. Yeah, it would be nicer to hear. Nice to hear two big chair shots first, maybe, and then pee him down. Um, Malone does look infused. He looks energised. He needs to work on his clotheslines. They look a little bit... Um, but he is a basketball player. Let's not forget this guy is an NBA superstar. He's not a wrestler. I feel a bit sorry for Kevin Green. I think Kevin Green, although obviously he's not a basketball player, has done enough in a wrestling ring to deserve probably another a main event opportunity, maybe with the likes of DDP. Because I think he's shown enough in the ring that he can actually put on a pretty decent match. This match is going to be, we're going to be sitting here next month with a tag team main event, much like we have done this month, where you've got probably two non-workers and two workers, well, say three non-workers, and Dallas Page trying to keep this going, I think. It's going to be a bit of a potential car crash, because if Rodman even turns up, in any condition, he's probably going to be stood there, I don't know, playing with the crowd or playing with himself. God only knows what's going to happen on that at that point. But, um, yeah, I think if they if it can get Paige over and, you know, the super, the celebrity rub and the superstar rub elevates Paige, this has worked perfectly. The only problem is this just involves Hogan, who the spotlight can never shine off. It always has to shine on. So I think whoever goes up against Hogan, whoever you have as a, cele- as a celebrity, you're going to lose a little bit of it because you're you're against Hogan, and Hogan will not allow anybody to take his spot and take his shine, will they? He he'll play that role, and he took a few licks from uh, Malone, and fair play to him for doing so, but that won't continue. Um, and Hogan's a bit of a mark for a celebrity. I mean, Carl Weathers got the um, was it Nitros this month when he was on the set of um, that god awful film. And, uh, yes, they, it, they, they showed that clip on two successive nitros as well. Yes, like, now you know it's like he's a proper fanboy for trying to get anybody celebrity, you know, around Hogan. But I don't know. I mean, I just hope Paige, who I've been a massive fan on, fan of, listening to previous shows for a long time now. Um, I just hope this takes him somewhere and a world title shot on a pay per view against Hogan and. We can only hope that he'll get a title win and get that belt around his neck because the crowd are massively with him. And I'm hoping that all this shenanigans that's going on right now does the trick. But I do worry because it's Hogan and Bischoff, and I just uh, I don't know. It's a bit. We'll see how it plays out. I'm, I'm dreading the main event next month a little bit. I must be honest with you. I'm hoping to be uh, um, surprisingly surprised. We'll find out. I think you both hinted at my number one concern about this match, in addition to its quality, but no, nobody's going to be watching this match for it to be a, a five-star match. And that's this. You, you both use the same phrase there, to get, to get Paige over. Isn't Paige over enough? Does he really need a celebrity, who he might well be real-life friends with, and apparently they are, that's fine, but does he really need a celebrity to get over with? Shouldn't Paige really be there by now? Shouldn't he be having that big one-on-one match with Hogan? And I know if you've got celebrity involvement, and like I said, back in the news, it's the summer. These guys are available. If you can get them in, you want to use them. I understand that. And yes, you want to put them in with a big star like Hogan, and he's going to use the reflected glory because that's what he does. We understand all of that. But Paige, uh, to me, 
feels like the fourth of the okay there's 18 wheels <laughs> 18 wheels here but he still feels like the fourth wheel yeah he needs to be ahead of that game now again it's like we said on a lower scale with booker he's been arriving and he got there on a different scale for page he should be heading towards main events and the world title and i don't think it's there i don't think it's there with him yet and as each month passes i think you know what is ever really going to happen because I don't think it really matters what the result of this match is going to be. I'm. Yeah. I, I, I can. Oh my goodness me. Oh no! I'd rather who Hogan is going to pin. Um, I mean, if Hogan does, if Hogan pins DDP in this match, and I think DDP is uh, not cooked, but he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a, once again a few more months behind where he should be. Uh, but if Hogan pins Carmelo, and what the hell does that prove? So this match is going to be, yes, that word again, an exhibition. Everyone's really going to be watching it to see what or how Dennis Rodman turns up with or with whom is the only really interesting point. But yeah, Paige as a... Oh, goodness me. Paige is a conduit for the big celebrity. He's the kind of guy who's showing him around. Uh, that's what it feels like to me. He's there just to make sure he doesn't do anything daft, almost to protect the... Uh, What's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Protect the investment and no more. He's almost like a security guard in a way. Oh, yeah, bring your not... friend to work, isn't it? Bring Sorry, your friend to work. Bring your friend to work. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Paige should be there challenging Hulk Hogan for the world title at this point now. And he's, he's now, he does things with Raven on MTV and everything, and he's a name, but and he's Bischoff's real-life friend too. That's the thing I can't get my head around. It's maybe again everything always comes back to Hogan and his politics and Hogan has maybe got a bishop's ear and said I know you're his friend brother but you know what do you want friends or money brother and just just keep him page just below the top rung of the ladder and that's what it looks like to me and if that's the case it's disappointing because page one of our MVPs last year he's had a great year this year make no mistake but he wasn't even on this pay-per-view and again much like with brett can he break through the uh i was going to say the glass ceiling but it's a uh a, a ceiling with a stained glass and you know whose face is staring back at you from the top it's unbreakable brother but we're going to find out as we go so oh my god i'm sweating like a pig after those two hours and it's not just me. god almighty we run the gamut here today Oh, deep breath. Billy Johnson, thank you for thank you for nothing and everything. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's always a pleasure to come on the podcast. It's been it's been real, has it not, Peter Kimber? It certainly has. I really enjoyed it. What a great way to spend two hours. Happy days. Uh, we know how to live on a Saturday morning. Peter, uh, where can people find you on the Twitters? Plug, plug anything you wish to plug, my man. The floor is uh, yours. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at pkimber1. I'm not a massive tweeter, as it were, but I do have a few musings every now and then. There's a few decent photos going up. Haven't really got a great deal to plug as such, so uh, have a look on there. I'm on Facebook as well. There's loads of wrestling-orientated stuff. Uh, check, check me out if you can. Do your stuff, Billy. Okay, so yeah, you can follow me uh, on the Twitter. I'm at Billy underscore J83. And uh, if you like any up-to-date uh, modern British professional wrestling, then uh, please go and give uh, at Brit Rest Review uh, 
and follow on at the Twitter, please, if if you want to. <laughs> Sell it hard, mate. Okay, right. <laughs> I'm not very good at this selling thing. <laughs> if if you, if you want to, we're all British. In case you hadn't worked it out, right? So yeah. My name is Rory McNamara, and you can find me on my new Twitter account at PlanetsDropUV if you wish to do so. You'll see all sorts of musings and weird and wonderful stuff on there. Uh, we are the Resting 20 Years Ago podcast, and we can be found on Twitter. I am usually in control of that one, at Wrestling20YRS. Uh, all sorts of wrestling-based discussion on there. Uh, generally out of time, although if we're watching the shows uh, for the benefits of this podcast, we'll give you our thoughts there. We talk about modern-day wrestling there as well. Well, we have watch-alongs whenever we can do them. I'm hoping to make some time in the next couple of weeks for our next planned one, which is SummerSlam 89, and there will also be a Twitter poll out there, so you can vote on the next one we'll do. We also have our Saturday discussion points, which I'll be putting another one out in about an hour's time on the Saturday that we take this. You can also find us on Facebook, which is normally where Chris White is in control of things. Uh, we do have a website. We haven't updated it for a while, say the podcast, the Twitter and the Facebook are mainly the places to go, but we do have lots of great archive written material on there. So feel free to check that out, especially if you are a new listener. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Podbean, you can find us on Stitcher, all your usual podcaster apps and gubbins. And I do want to prog one more time our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash wrestling20yrs, which uh, for $5 a month, you really do keep this show on the road. It means we can subscribe to The Observer and The Torch uh, to get uh, get all our news, one or two extra things as well. And as we approach the fifth anniversary of this uh, podcast, we began in August 1993, coming up on the rail soon. So watch out for, in addition to our regularly scheduled WWF, WCW and ECW programming, a few specials coming down the pike. So be ready for that. But this has very much been volume two of the uh, June 1998 shows. Uh, June 1998, Volume 1, WWF, King of the Ring 1998, Volume 3, ECW Hardcore TV. Okay, we're going to need a breather now, guys. I think uh, it's probably going to last for a month. It's going to need to. So from Billy Johnson, Pete Kimber, and a spent Rory McNamara, we're out of time. we got to go.